Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Stacks. This is Jay. And I am Shanielo Della Croce. All right. Uh, first up this week, we've got a couple French films this week, and kind of a French week. Uh, and also continuing our coverage of Lee Marvin. We've been going through Lee Marvin stuff, and this is a good one. This is pretty near the end of his career, kind of looking back on... I'd say strongly looking back on both of the other ones we've discussed already. Yeah, there's definitely parallels to both of them. There's a lot of influence from P- Prime Cut in here, or at least inspiration, as uh, yeah. we see him in a wheat field again. Yeah, right in the opening credits, we've got uh, Marvin in this tuxedo, which, I mean, the tuxedo look isn't something he's really had before, but uh, very distinct, very kind of iconic American classic noir gangster look. Uh, giant red flower on the chest very very prominent uh big splash of color uh and just with the black and white that's in the rest of it and or the, for the rest of his imagery you know black and white and red newspaper colors mm-hmm. uh and like i think very consciously he's a black and white character he is uh retro original noir but filtered through neo-noir and the new wave which the neo-noir pulled from and etc we're we're doing the point blank thing but we're doing it more as just this is a satire of france like french (laughs) culture more than it is a satire of american cinema like it it almost as a character lee marvin or jim jimmy cobb lee marvin's character feels like he's uh he, he's the moral gangster he's the heroic gangster uh even though you know he's non-heroic he does lots of bad yeah. stuff he's a bad guy he doesn't really kill people in this though for the no, most part he, his signature which ends up uh, kneecapping up in his face is uh, yeah kneecapping people <laughs> yeah but uh, uh he doesn't really kill many like uh, other than in the gunfight at the start i don't know if he kills anyone i'm trying to think uh he kills i i think you know it's ambiguous whether or not he kills the horny girl oh yeah no he does kill her that's right uh that that is the one and that's with his bare hands like a frankenstein's monster just a you could argue that one's in self-defense though yes that is sort of the idea is that he is defending himself against her maybe more than he needs to but she's also grotesque as most of these people are most yeah most uh, (laughs) i mean almost all arguably all he's the least grotesque character as the criminal with the bag of money in the wheat field running away from helicopters. So, oh, man. Even the little <laughs> child with his uh, homemade uh, pirate ship wagon is evil. I love that kid. I love the pirate ship. The pirate ship, the Lord Jim, is totally incredible. Uh, That's and so good. I, I like that it's the Lord Jim, which is sort of how his real name sounds, Jachim. Uh, oh, when people say his name, it kind of they mostly refer to him as Chim, the diminutive Jo Chim, Yo uh, Chim, uh, with a French accent. Yo Chim does sound kind of like Lord Jim. Uh, yeah, but he prefers to go by Angelo Della Croce, of course. <laughs> I think that's his uh, adventurer sona. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's his chosen name it's it's who he prefers to be uh 
So this is 1984's Dog Day, also known as Canicule, uh, which means the dog days, you know, the end of August, uh, latter days of summer. Uh, heat wave uh, is, is also kind of implied by the title. Uh, at least, you know, in France, it would be just why it doesn't quite go. It, it's weird that they call it Dog Day instead of Dog Days. Yeah, um, the description I've I've read about it seems to imply that it's just a dog day means he's just having a really bad day, which yeah. he is. But, but it, it definitely refers to the dog days of summer and the heat, the the hot, the, the just uh typically connected with bad luck though mm. <laughs> so this is a 1984 film from director yves boisset i think he was mainly a film critic previous to this and the oh. point with this movie was to be really edgy <laughs> <laughs> well they did <laughs> oh they, they got there uh his whole thing you know, he wanted to offend people, so he went as far as he could with pretty much everything. There are things that did have to be edited from the script. Uh, so I, I should say we're watching the we were watching the Kino Blu-ray. I think it's out of print now. There is a pretty decent commentary on that. Uh, it's kind of up and down, but there's some useful uh, information in there that uh, okay. I'll, I'll pepper in here. All right. <laughs> But yeah, Prime Cut, obviously a pretty significant influence in Point Blank as well. Uh, so we start, obviously, opening credits. We've got him, as I said, he's in the tux. He's going through the wheat field. He's got just a bag of, a swag bag of cash. Very classic criminal on the lam. Yep. Did uh, it happen? <laughs> did it happen? Uh, well, this one, I think it did. It did. So it's Jimmy Cobb, and we... After the credits run, it's him saying goodbye to his girlfriend to go on this big heist. Uh, his girlfriend, Tina Louise, best known as uh, Ginger on Gilligan's Island. Oh, yeah. You know, I haven't actually seen a full episode of Gilligan's Island, but oh, wow. I know enough about it. I, I saw it a lot. I saw it a lot as a kid. Very young kid. Uh, it, it was one that I think my grandma watched a lot, so I saw it with her. Not good. I mean, it's it's all the same. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, they don't get off the island. It's Gilligan's fault. It's kind of weird that they don't get off the island, considering the level of technology they have. Uh, but, the, you know, that's that's <laughs> that's the conceit. And then they're like, I've even seen the TV movies later when they get off the island and they go back to the island and they get off the island again. I don't know. Why would you go back? Because modern life is so difficult. Actually, like, I uh, would go back. <laughs> I I, re I specifically recall there being a plot line about Tina Louise's character. You know, she's an actress, like her character's an actress, Ginger. And right, right. she goes back to acting and, you know, everybody expects her to do topless scenes and she's not cool with that. So she goes back to the island. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's kissing her goodbye and she's like, don't make this the last one. And in a point blank ask sort of thing. Uh, we're already having him predeceased. He's, uh, why can't you think of me as anything but dead? And she's like, because it's your damned destiny. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's anyone's destiny to ultimately well. die, but it, it does seem, you know, I, I feel like we're directly pointing at point blank. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's your destiny to die here. Maybe. Well, I mean, it maybe. is ultimately, as we do yep. discover. 
so he he walks away from her and he gets in a car with uh the the dude who i think uh, the the dude in the the dude riding shotgun is the guy who betrays him right i think so like this is rajinsky probably oh i i didn't catch i didn't catch his name but yeah i think he's the guy it comes up much later yeah uh if it's the same guy yeah the guy with oh wait no no white suit later on yeah i think it's a no it's not kajinsky because kajinsky is the detective who who's after him there's oh wait is there rojinsky and kojinsky i don't know oh no (laughs) i don't know anyway I I really love the moment at them suiting up. Uh, his his number two guy with the Uzi is putting in the clip, mm-hmm. and uh, Marvin reaching over and opening the glove compartment. He pulls out a grenade and stuffs it in his pocket. <laughs> I was like, "Oh shit, we're in for some serious business." He's going to use a rocket launcher pretty quick. <laughs> the just him very uh nonchalantly opening the glove box where there's a grenade just rolling around loose and he just like <laughs> take that and just stuffs it in a a, a suit pocket like a tuxedo pocket <laughs> and they're like yeah, i'll probably need that later I'm like i don't know it, it, it's it sort of establishes that we're in a an almost cartoon universe yeah, because <laughs> I do feel yeah, like some... this is heightened, extraordinarily oh, yes. heightened. Uh, all of these characters are a little bit absurd. It, it would, it, it would almost be more palatable if it were an animated feature, you know? Yeah, you know, there's there's a few films that I feel that way about. I mean, it, this won't be <laughs> something in part three because I don't own a copy of it. We only do physical media, but I watched North. And that's a movie that clearly oh. is supposed to be an animated feature that just it it feels extraordinarily insulting and stupid in live action. <laughs> Whereas this, it feels just gross. It's terrifying. It's troubling. Uh, but that that's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think that's actually the problem I had with Psycho Gorman mm. is that it should have been a cartoon. Yeah, yeah, I I could totally see that if if that yeah. were like. Uh, what do you call it the what was the teletune nighttime uh bracket oh, uh, after dark or something yeah like that. If, if it were a teletune after dark thing or an mtv animation thing from the late 90s it would be perfect mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like how when i was watching what was that uh uh the scary of 61st that fucking stupid uh uh jeffrey epstein horror movie but oh, the people no. who buy his apartment and it's haunted by his horny ghost or whatever. <laughs> oh, right. Fuck. It's like I, I that... <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah, that should have been a shot on video movie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we cut to the police station and there's a detective Kaczynski and he's just dripping sweat. It's like, it's so hot today. And like <laughs> we, we are establishing how ungodly warm it is. <laughs> it's hot here. And he gets a call that uh, they're they're tipped off about the heist. So one of the dudes who's with him has ratted him out. And they... <laughs> a very bad setup to this. Oh, this is... <laughs> so remember how an ambulance, everybody died just because the cops couldn't let him get away with the money and track him down later. 
It, yeah, it's not unlike that. Uh, it, it's a very similar situation, it, but even stupider because we're at the <laughs> so agri much stupider. Yeah, it's way dumber. We're at the agricultural and commercial bank of the Bose, uh, and <laughs> we see right across the street there's the Collège Saint Gilles. There's a school. <laughs> yep, they're they're letting out right now. They're about to let out. We don't know that quite yet, but we just see a bunch of police getting behind the gate with guns. And we see, like, it is a school. I'm like, hmm, that, that seems dangerous. Uh, is is this a day that school is out? Is is anybody dealing with that? And like, nobody's dealing with that. No, no. <laughs> maybe some, one of the cops should have maybe told the teachers or the principal to be like, hey, we're doing a big thing right here. So if you could just keep everybody in for a few more minutes... You know who they should have told? The people in the armored car. Oh, they should have done that but, too. But they're they're just using it as bait to have the attack so that they can, you know, because they've surrounded the area. So they're going to just get the bad guys. But it's it's very stupid. <laughs> it's uh, so dumb. <laughs> I, I, I do appreciate there is an element. This movie is critical of absolutely everyone who is French. <laughs> <laughs> bottom to the top uh anybody who is an outsider is being exploited but everybody who is french is an awful exploiter in this french movie <laughs> it's true it's true even the ones who i thought were going to turn out to be okay yeah <laughs> uh so the armored car it pulls up uh and our guys are right behind and they shoot the cop who's driving it, and Jimmy Cobb immediately pulls out a bazooka. <laughs> Which, again, it's cartoonish. I didn't see a bazooka when he was getting into the car and grabbing the grenade and stuff. Yeah, it's almost like the thing where you just pull it out from behind your back, but it's bigger than behind. Oh, the end of uh, the first Dead or Alive movie. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he could have just pulled it out of his sleeve like he was Bunny yeah. Bugs Bunny. Uh, mm -hmm. But he he pulls out the bazooka, he blows off the back doors of the armored car, and I guess one of the dudes who's in the armored car in the back is with them, because he jumps out and he's like, watch out, They've, we've been ratted out, which I guess means that they did tell the armored car, it's just they decided to just go through it anyway <laughs> like they, they they're sacrificing the the driver obviously i mean i don't know why they would do it this way it's it's very badly planned <laughs> yeah this this whole this whole thing or whatever the hell it is is just it's dumb no, it's it, it so is dumb. like you say it is much like the ambulance one which is one that is explicitly supposed to implicate the police and you know clearly this one is as well <laughs> uh so the dude who is riding shotgun with the uzi i'm still not sure what this dude's name is but i think he's the main guy i think he's the dude who comes back later in the white suit i, I uh, think that's him yeah but uh he shoots the guy because uh, the cop's like, who ratted us out? And uh, that guy shoots him. So it's like, I mean, if you were trying to <laughs> pre prevent it from getting out, you just proved that you're the guy who did it. So I don't know. Maybe he was trying to shoot Cobb. Maybe. <laughs> Here, Cobb does shoot some cops. He shoots at that guy. He does blow away some cops. But then school is let out. 
<laughs> and like this is a failure on multiple levels. One, the police should have notified them, but there's an active gunfight already before school is let out. Wouldn't they yeah, just the, keep the... them in? <laughs> yeah, what's the principal thinking? Like, oh man, there's a I can see out my window all this shooting happening, but it's three thirty though. What do I do? The police are in the schoolyard, sheltering in the schoolyard behind the gate in a gunfight. <laughs> Yeah, and some of them are going down already. Like there's gun, <laughs> there's bullets flying. But no, let's just let the kids out. They let the kids out, and the kids are among the children and still shooting at the bad guys. They're like surrounded by children. Uh, there is oh, yeah. a, a moment like we're five minutes into the movie, and a child is shot in the chest, <laughs> right where Jimmy Cobb's flower is on his tuxedo. Yeah. Uh, it, it's almost like this action marks Jimmy Cobb for death. I don't know if it's actually him that does it, but the death of this child does mean that he's not going to get out of this. Mm -hmm. Kind of just uh, in a movie justice sort of sense, there's no way yeah. that he can be let uh, out of the film, even though his responsibility is uncertain. Mm -hmm. So uh, Cobb shoots another of his own dudes, I think. There's another dude who seems to be a bad guy or like, a, like he seems to be one of the robbers and Cobb shoots him for whatever reason. I think maybe he's also involved. I'm not clear what exactly happens, but then he just like puts his gun to the gas tank of a Peugeot and just blows it up. <laughs> Rules. Yeah, it's awesome. Him yeah, detonating yeah, a car. Yeah, the allegiances of all these different criminals in the robbery and who's involved and who's not, really unclear. It, yeah, we were kind of just left to see it fall out because we're really only watching him. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. Some some people show up later. There's the two guys, um, uh, Snake and the other dude. Uh, Julio? No. I don't know. <laughs> I think there might be a Julio. There is a Julio. Uh, I can't remember who he is for sure, though. But they show up quite a bit later. So, yeah, him blowing up the car is pretty great. Then we get <laughs> there's an amazing reverse shot after the car blows up where we see two cops who are firing over the bodies of a cop on the ground and three children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like this has gone wrong, guys. <laughs> it, it almost looks like they're using the kids as human shields. It really does. And why else would they be still amongst them and shooting back? Just bad decision making all the way down the line. Yeah. Um <laughs> I I do love the moment where Cobb basically has a GTA car theft where he grabs a dude by the shoulder and the guy goes, <laughs> I have nothing to do with this and is tossed out the door and he jumps in. Like it is, this feels like every time you carjack someone in a GTA game. Oh, it's, a, it's exactly it's, that. It's perfect. Speeds off. Uh, he easily smashes through their roadblock again, very poorly planned. He's one guy just in a <laughs> stolen car that was there on the scene. <laughs> And then they mobilize the entire military. They've got helicopters. They're searching the fields because they got away with a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. So we're basically all the way. We're back to where the credits brought us. Cobb buries the money uh, in 
uh, a wheat field, not realizing a boy pirate is watching nearby from his <laughs> wheat pirate boat. Oh, I love this fucking pirate boat he's got. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> uh, so Cobb's switchblade breaks while he's digging. So he's sort of running out of weapons pretty quickly. He, he has, I what, his pistol now and just whatever bullets are in there? Uh, he's got a couple grenades. Oh, he yeah, <laughs> he has his grenades, at least a couple. Yeah. Uh, so he runs to the farm because there's a copter going over, and the boy, uh, I I love. So our our introduction to uh, Yachim or uh, Aniello del Croce is him pointing his pirate flag like a rifle at the cops <laughs> flying over and going right in the ass right in the ass you pigs that's great yeah <laughs> so he gets to the yard and there's a nice pink cadillac there which belongs to doodoo his name is doodoo <laughs> cadillac and doodoo is on the roof hiding He's one of our exploited characters. He's a, yes. a, a he's a migrant worker who's on the farm. He's currently uh, being shouted at by Segolen, who wants him to come down to have sex with her. She <laughs> is not she's the person so, I want to have she's sex very, with. She's so filthy, like that. She's like always covered in muck. There's always just like grime on her face. Oh yeah, her like gross dress that might have been white at one point, but who can tell? Yeah, she is just super gross. I mean, as all of the people who live here are. I mean, most of them are all a family. Uh, yeah, the, there's, uh, it, the, they're all Horace's family. The the stepdad uh, of, like, they're. It's it's two groups. There's Jessica and yeah. Chim, who is her son, and then everybody else is the family that married her, other than the the servants, the yeah, workers. She, yeah, she I think inherited the farm from her father, and then he married her, and now yeah, he's the boss, and it's this whole big gross thing. Yeah, he's disgusting. But Doodoo is hiding on the roof right now to get away uh -huh. from her because he. He doesn't want to have sex with her. It, it is a funny reveal that he's hiding on the roof for some reason. <laughs> and, and he's like, he's the first person we encounter besides the kid. Yeah. He's like, Al, I want sex. And, you know, someone flushes the toilet off screen. <laughs> what to do would flush the toilet instead. <laughs> they're, they're so filthy. It reminds, like, everybody looks like... Do you remember the YTV show, You Can't Do That on Television? Yes. Everybody uh, always like looked filthy on that show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how they look to me. Uh, again, just increasing the weirdly cartoonish nature of this, even though it gets extraordinarily grim and dark at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Dudu, he's up on the roof. He's like, Madame Segolin, we already did it three times last night. Ask the oh. Arab. <laughs> <laughs> the arab of course is another uh migrant worker who yeah the other yeah. dude and she's like he's too old he's like well why not your brothers and <laughs> she's like well horse doesn't want to 
<laughs> and and Socrate, uh, the the other really dirty dude, they're her two brothers. He's Yeah. like, well, she's already asked them. Horace doesn't want to, and Socrates has the clap. I'm like, uh. <laughs> but you know if he didn't ugh. Yeah, I, I mean, probably prior to him uh, having the clap, things were totally fine. Uh, probably but so she's threatening to slash his tires, which we she will do later, but she hasn't done just yet. We we do see yeah Jimmy eyeing it as an escape vehicle. oh he even takes the keys from the ignition Yeah, he's ready to grab it, but then by the time he gets back there, she has slashed the tires. Yeah. So the kid digs up the money. Uh, and replaces it with rocks. He's like, oh my god, it's uh, totally cashed in. I, I, I'm not sure if he takes all of the money and then reburies it, and then it's Dudu or the the pig finds it, and then Dudu finds the pig with the money. Uh, Uh, yeah, is he takes that all of it. he takes all of it? So it's the second bag that is found. Then okay, yes, couldn't yeah. remember. Is I wasn't sure if it was. Uh, that he left some of the money and that the pig found the rest of it. No, he just he took the whole bag, kept some of it to himself, and then buried another bag somewhere Right. else. Because uh, we will come back to the one with rocks later. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, so inside, we, we're, we're introduced to Horace and the rest of the family. Uh, he's the stepdad, and he's saying, don't feed the kid anymore. This isn't a hotel. <laughs> Not allowed to feed him. Ordering nobody to allow the child food. I don't like him. <laughs> it's like weird. Uh, and then he orders everyone out so that he can bang the wife. Uh, whether she wants it or not. It's her job, basically. so here's a here's the thing about the vibe of this family and how gross they were and also just like the difference in how the wife and the husband look I thought she was the daughter when he was banging her. Yeah, it, it could totally be that uh, with, with this family, especially we've already been introduced to the idea of the, this being a family that is uh, not even uh, shy about incest. It's like, why Yeah. don't you go bang your brothers? I'm like, yeah, I would, <laughs> but you know, not available right now. yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's super gross. Uh, there there is a, a just a deep. nastiness uh to like horace especially is, is just a Yeah. really foul vile character and maybe a serial killer i would say almost definitely a serial rapist I would say definitely, yeah, serial rapist for sure. Serial killer, uh, we don't get to find out because he's interrupted. yeah i'm not really sure so mew mew the wife really she's probably the most interesting Uh, person in this other than Marvin. I think it's a really, really compelling performance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, totally. So here, Segalen goes and slashes the Cadillac tires, and there's this... We, we get introduced to this poor old lady, who I guess is Horace's mother, Horace and Socrates Oh, and Segalen's mother, and she's just this at poor the end of woman. her rope. She's like, no, don't put me <laughs> in a home. I'll kill myself. Don't yeah. do it. I'll kill myself. And I, I mean, I don't know. Honestly, she'd be better off in a home. <laughs> she'd be better Well, off away from yeah. a home. All that she wants to do is look at this little 
uh, tin that she has of photos of her long dead husband, who I guess died in World War II. Mm. She reminds me of the grandpa in uh, Sound and Fury. The one yeah. who has to just lie on the bed while everybody's got the firing range in the hallway. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, there was some uh, commonality there that uh, the, they were directly related because it, it does have a very significant feeling of overlap. It's very mm -hmm. weird. They came out within a few years of each other, if I recall. Mm hmm. Yeah, so she she's just literally looking at these photos, the the chest of photos, and that's all she seems to want to do. Wouldn't she be better off in a home away from these horrible people? Yes, yes, she would. <laughs> yes, I, she would. I, it seems like anything that she actually wants to do, anything that gives her any measure of joy, would still be available there. Maybe there would be less horror in her life. Oh, but what if it's the home from Happy Gilmore and the guy's kind of a jerk? <laughs> yeah, oh, wait, know. no, she's already in a place where guys are kind of a jerk. She is already in a really fucking horrible place. She had to be Anything ordered. Anything is an upgrade. She, she had to be ordered out of, uh, uh, ordered away from the breakfast table because uh, her son wanted to bang the wife in the kitchen against her will. <laughs> it's a pretty nasty, un unpleasant place to be. Yeah. So Socrates, uh, who looks a lot like Cameron Mitchell, if you know Cameron Mitchell from the stuff, uh, is sort he of the patron saint anyway. of uh, Red Letter Media. Oh, that's probably why I thought yeah. he looked familiar. Yeah, this isn't him. It's This is uh, Jean Carmet, uh, but he really, really looks like uh, uh, Cameron Mitchell and ha has a similar vibe. I, You know, he was also a dude who was a heavy alcoholic and apparently he and lee marvin got along famously they were best <laughs> buds on set they were drinking like all night long uh <laughs> after after every uh, uh day of shooting <laughs> i could see that yeah he looks like a dude who would get along with lee marvin they didn't speak the same language they just drank together <laughs> and had a great time sometimes you don't have to <laughs> yeah so we see him wake up he gets up, he pisses in the sink. Again, we're just establishing how grotesque and gross all of these people are. Yeah. So Jessica, uh, Mew Mew, uh, the wife, uh, she, yeah. she goes to feed the pigs and she sees a rope being pulled by uh, Jimmy Cobb. She doesn't see Cobb and she does not go to investigate. She's more savvy than anyone else. Mm -hmm. uh, so Socrates is bitching about his gonorrhea. Which we've already heard about it. We know that he has gonorrhea. Is... One of his weird things is he has this philosophy of wearing shoes that are too small for him. Oh, yeah. What does he say? Like, so that all of his problems don't seem so bad or something? Yeah, that it's distracting. You know, he wears toe crampity shoes, you know, uh, <laughs> to distract from all his other problems. I'm like, that doesn't seem like a great way to go about life, but okay. that's I mean, It's a philosophy. <laughs> at least they believe in something. <laughs> yeah. Say what you will about the tenets of National Socialism, Donnie. At least they believe in something. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got this weird order museum it, yeah he's a it's his taxidermy thing he's got 
it's mostly taxidermy stuff, uh, other than the, his big dragon monument. But yeah, it's weird. Oh, I wish there was <laughs> dragon taxidermy. <laughs> I mean, there's fake dragon taxidermy. Yeah, but I want real stuff. I mean, but this one have really to have real fancy. dragons. Yeah, you know, this is. Oh yeah, no, this is. They're this not trying to pass. This one's a statue. It looks like something that would be on uh, Spinal Tap background, <laughs> yes. uh, a stage background. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Jessica's at the at the uh, window in the kitchen, and she sees Cobb. He he goes to get some water from a tap, and she turns it off just to <laughs> just as a power play because she'll yep. bring him water shortly. <laughs> He's like, yeah, oh, she's... Th this this uh, gives me power over him. She turns the water off and he's like, what the, what the fuck? He's like, and then he starts looking around like, have I been spotted somewhere? <laughs> Runs <laughs> so off. So she's another one of the ones who I thought might end up being a good person, but no, isn't. No, not at all. Uh, so he moves to a different barn because it's a little bit more deserted and sort of a little <laughs> more out of the way. And that barn had been compromised. Yeah, totally compromised. Because uh, another copter's going over as well, so he needs to run for shelter right away. And Jessica comes to that barn and brings him a bottle of water. <laughs> and she's like, uh, you know, the police were here earlier and they have uh, they were saying some things about you. One of the things they said that really interested me is that death follows you. <laughs> <laughs> the cops didn't say that. I don't know. I Actually, can see them saying that. Maybe. I can absolutely see them saying that. They're, you know, talking about the danger of him as a criminal, that uh, he yeah, kills tons true. of people. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking of like dumb American cops. Yeah, don't mind me. <laughs> uh, but she, it, it's the, she's interested in that because she wants him to kill people for her uh, or just. <laughs> be an easy person to blame deaths on when she kills people that she really needs to get rid of either or. which is the way things basically end up going yeah yeah but first she's just gonna try to get him to kill her husband yeah although i i like that he susses her out immediately he's like i'm suspicious of anyone who comes close to me they either want me dead or they want my money and she's like not me she wants <laughs> both of those things yeah yeah I mean, she doesn't necessarily want him dead, but it's more convenient if he is. Oh, definitely. That's <laughs> easier to get the money, right? <laughs> easier to get the money and just easier to blame things on him. Because mm -hmm. so many deaths get blamed on him by the end of this movie <laughs> that he had nothing to do with. People he is never he... met. Yeah. <laughs> His body count in this is very low. Not as low as in Point Blank, but right. very low. Yeah. I, and not unlike Point Blank in that sense where he's being attributed to all these deaths or all these deaths are sort of uh, considered to be – he's considered the catalyst even though uh, in this he, he has so little to do with any of it. <laughs> yeah, there's people who are like, oh, Jimmy Cobb is out? Of the, out? I can get away with any murder so long as I shoot him in the knee. Yeah. So a white convertible pulls up to – the family ship monument, which is the fucking coolest, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that's sweet. Yeah, where the movie ends, uh, interesting thing. It's just like this uh, monument to her dad, 
Jessica's dad or is it his no yeah it's 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 her dad because yeah. uh the kid refers to him as his grandfather yeah and it wouldn't be Horace's dad that'd yeah. be weird right yeah of course uh yeah. no I knew, I knew it was him I was just trying to determine if it was her dad or oh, her oh. grandfather right uh, but no it's the kid's grandfather yeah it's cool it reminds me of uh there's one kind of like that in Saskatchewan I think I've seen that I've been to it I've uh, been inside it. It's it's interesting. There's this. I think it was a Norwegian dude who was living in Saskatchewan, and he decided to build a big ship. He was going to sail back to Norway because he was not. He, he missed. He, you know, he missed his hometown, like a like a Yakuza. And yeah, you got to go back to your hometown. Yeah, he figured he'd just build this big ship, and then he'd just drag it to a uh, river and then it, he would sail that up to the ocean and you know it, it, it would all work and obviously it never happened uh, but the ship is still there <laughs> i'm i'm almost positive i've seen that actually yeah it's it's pretty interesting uh recommended uh to visit if you're ever in the area it's near moose jaw <laughs> oh i go to moose jaw all the time <laughs> i've been there a time or two uh <laughs> So uh, yeah, it's it's our all in white guy. He pulls up in his white Cadillac, or it's not a Cadillac. I think it's an yeah. olds, uh, but convertible. The, the gangsters all have you know convertible American cars. Oh yeah, the, <laughs> and and like the big like fifties and sixties like huge cars too. Yeah, exactly. I mean they they all have a classic old timey feel to them. They're not modern cars. Again, they they feel like retro gangsters from noir movies rather than mm -hmm. current '80s criminals. <laughs> uh, so he gives his number to the kid, or he gives what he says is his phone number. He's like, "This is the hotel I'm staying at in Chartres," and the kid's like, "No, it's not. I recognize this number." <laughs> the kid recognizes the number. <laughs> Like this is this is the, this is a brothel. My aunt works there. <laughs> My aunt. Lily. Oh yeah, so we have... <laughs> Right. So we have the aunt who works in the brothel too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the the monument is to Jonathan van Gasteren, eighteen ninety seven to nineteen fifty six, a sailor and a farmer. He plowed the sea. <laughs> It's just cool. It is just this big uh, ship-shaped <laughs> monument in a wheat field. Uh, just a cool design, cool thing to look at. Yeah, and a cool place to end the movie, too. Mm -hmm. So the gangster gives him money. I think he says a hundred bucks, but isn't it later just a dollar? I feel like we look uh... at it later and it's just a dollar bill that he puts on the wall. Um... No, I think, you know what? I didn't look close enough at the dollar bill. I don't know. Because I feel like at first it's 100. 100. They do say 100, but at some point someone's saying, I, I swear it's just a dollar with the, where I we don't see it yet, but I think it's the one that has the voice bubble on it that says, fuck anybody who reads this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Anyway, hmm. he gives him the money to to say nothing to the gendarmes. And he's like, oh, yeah, kid, what's your name? Aniello Della Croce. 
So Horace checks out his trophy closet. This is the first time we see it. I do think these oh, are trophies yeah. of... I, I don't think it's him getting it on with lots of ladies. It, it no. would, if they're not from prostitutes, which I don't think would let you take a trophy, typically. Uh, it seems like he's... I, they seem like trophies from attacks. I don't, I mean, this guy is a real scuzzball and we yeah. absolutely know he will sexually assault someone because he tries to later on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dressed as a scarecrow. I mean, that's, that's like Wiley Coyote shit. <laughs> Except, you know, he usually doesn't rape. Yeah. <laughs> Wiley Coyote is no. usually trying to rape the roadrunner. <laughs> well, we don't know what happens when he catches the roadrunner because I mean, he never yeah. will. It's, it's never happened. I, I don't know. Maybe that's what uh, he was always going for. Uh, but yeah, it, it is very suspect when we see this trophy case. The first time, it's like, why does he have all that? That's weird. Uh, and then you know, when we see it the next time, it's like, I think this guy's maybe uh, really, really evil. Yeah, because the second time we see it, it's after he's uh stalked the two lesbians. Yeah, and there's also the thing with the lime pit where he's like, Yeah, throw the dog, the dead dogs in the lime pit, and you know, they can fit more than dogs in there, and it sort of suggests that. There might be bodies in the lime pit already. Hmm, I, I missed that part, <laughs> but mm. yeah, that doesn't. Yeah, that but makes sense. He notices that the lock has been tampered with, uh, which he obviously blames on Chim or uh, and Yellow or whatever. Uh, I don't know if it is or not. I have no idea. He just can tell that the uh, that it's been tampered with, and I could see this kid breaking in there. I could see the kid doing it, but you know what? I could see a lot of other people in this family also doing it. I, I could see, see the sister doing it. I can see literally any person in this place doing it. Uh, other than the yes. mother, the, the old mom who just clearly is living in the past. Yeah. Or she would not want to be here. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so there's the weird moment of him whipping the kid in the courtyard. And the mom just on the in the greenhouse watching. She's just watching totally chill, whereas Cobb is thinking of shooting the guy. Yeah. <laughs> you see Cobb pointing the gun like, I don't care for this. It's a brutal whipping. It's pretty bad. And Yellow runs to his room. He takes a swig of his nitro booze. I'm like, ah, a scar makes you cool. It's fine. I, I love that. It was like, I, I like the fake out. I thought he was just going to put that on the wound and he just chugs it. There's a swig of it, like ah, and he he puts the the bill. I think it's a hundred dollar bill, and he yeah knifes it to the wall, and it, <laughs> yeah, it has a voice bowl that says "fuck whoever reads this." Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck me. So, do we think that was written by our gangster guy, or do we think that was written by? Oh, Aniello, one hundred percent wrote yeah. that. Oh, yeah, no, I, I agree. It had to be Aniello. It's it's weird that we don't see him do it, but it. It feels like something he would do. Also, because it is written in French, I feel the gangster would have written in English because I think he's English. I'm not sure. I think <laughs> so. Again, the relationship of the gangsters to one another and to Cobb isn't super clear. They're they're not yeah. that important. Yeah, they're they're all kind of just generic baddies. The other guys, like one of them, the the main guy is named Snake. <laughs> he's just Time Snake. for a crime spree. Yeah. He's Snake Jailbird. <laughs> uh so the copter shows up the police copter shows up it lands in the courtyard and they're asking about Cobb, of course and horace mentions uh like oh i hear he's known for kneecapping cops and that's what you guys are so mad about 
And the cousin's like, yeah, you know, seven people were killed in the shootout this morning, and there was like a kid shot in the heart. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, over a billion francs were stolen. Oh yeah, that's Quite right. And Horace is like, mm, well, like, that oh. sounds like a blunder right there. <laughs> sounds like you guys screwed up. And he's right. They screwed up big time. We saw it. They oh, yeah. really screwed up. I hope somebody got fired over this blunder. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, a few people got fucking killed over that blunder. Yeah. Uh, so they mentioned that they're going to leave an officer with them, but they're not leaving him yet. Uh, this officer Marceau. <laughs> oh, poor Officer Marceau. I think his character name is Marcel Marceau. Uh, <laughs> which is interesting. Uh, I, I wonder if, like, they never actually say Marcel Marceau, but they refer to him as Marcel, and they refer to him as Officer Marceau. Hmm. Uh, and I don't know if he has any lines, so maybe that is the gag? No, he oh, has maybe. some lines. He radios in when he goes up to the kids' room. It's just weird. Yeah. He doesn't do anything. No, the, the <laughs> officer has zero agency in this film. Yeah, he's useless. He, he exists to have stuff happen too, not to make stuff happen. Yeah. So they're going to leave him with them later, and the copter takes off. They do notice the two, uh, I think they're Swedish girls. It's There's a couple different attributions. They say Prussian later, but anyway. Yeah. Um, th these two girls who are camping in the wheat field i guess yeah, i i don't know i mean i guess you could just do that in rural france if it's just a fallow field and like yeah, just set up a tent why not yeah uh topless girls of course they're always yeah. naked. well oh. one is yeah i mean you're very frequently seeing breasts that's part of the point yeah. i think uh oh yeah so romeo fabrizio uh or i i think he is also called marcel uh he he's the gangster all in white he pulls up to the gas station or <laughs> gas station oh, yeah. quotes i guess service <laughs> station service station in quotes too <laughs> yeah it's it's so great socrates place he's like uh look there's no gas right now and also there's no electricity so there's nothing <laughs> to really uh, i mean it can't give you a whole lot of stuff uh, and also there's no roads so i'm not sure why you're here to begin with <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a very particular place. People come here for, like, this is a destination, not a waypoint. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and why would you come here as a destination is sort of the point. Uh, mm. And I, I love the bit where he goes to the vending machine and turns a crank and he's just like a handful of <laughs> maggots come out. <laughs> That's such a gross cartoon moment. And it's like, yeah, it's bait, you know, for fishing. Like, where are you yeah. going fishing near here? <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> wheat as far as you can see it's like have you got water so i can wash my hands like they go into the back we see all the cool taxidermy shit we see yep. his museum uh and he gives him his phone number which uh, it's the same thing it's like <laughs> oh yeah no i know this number <laughs> <laughs> that's the number to the brothel i call this one all the time yeah, lily lives there i i know lily I, I don't know. I think Lily is his younger sister. I think she's related to them and not to Yachim. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I think it's Socrates. I younger say sister? Younger sister or maybe a 
different niece or possibly daughter? Maybe, because, like, she definitely does not have... She didn't get hit with the ugly stick the way the rest of them did. She doesn't have the family grime look. <laughs> no, but, you know, that she's away from them in a place where younger. they make it yeah. clean up. True, true. Uh, yeah, it's it's. she feels more of a piece with Jessica and Yuachim, but... Anyway, uh, the, he gives them the number, so Socrates like, yeah, yeah, I should call up the place and see what's going on. And so he phones up to see what Lily's doing. Okay, Lily's busy right now. Uh, Mamel's the very busty lady. It's like, a, I'll, we'll, we'll go send her to get her. And so he's like, look, and Yellow took off. He stole one of my mopeds. He's probably going to show up at your place. It's like, keep an eye out for him. <laughs> and he asks her about Romeo Fabrizio, our, our gangster guy. He's like, oh, you mean Marcel? I'm like, oh, hey, my Maggie, my uncle saw Torontopolis. <laughs> I guess this guy just has a bunch of fake names that he's using, and he's trying to run all these different scams. I think he's working as her pimp right now. That's that's the impression I got. Yeah. Because uh, he mentions later on that he's her, her meal ticket or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Uh, so she's like, all right, he's looking for Cobb on behalf of Snake. <laughs> <laughs> Are you Jimmy Cobb? So Snake is the guy who was in, uh, it was uh, riding shotgun at the start. Oh, okay, that's Snake. Yeah, okay, that's Snake. Not, the, yeah. not the white suit guy. Right. So Socrates goes to Aniello's room and he finds the bill uh, on the wall. And is like, oh shit, he found the money. <laughs> uh, although this isn't the money from the from the heist. No. This is the money from uh, Marcel. <laughs> yeah, because the money from the heist is going to be like crisp and clean and all that. Yeah. So Jessica brings Cobb some food and they start to feel each other out a little bit more. Uh, get get an idea of people's intentions. Uh, I I like Cobb noticing that her shirt's been unbuttoned a bit, and like, hey, this was buttoned this morning. I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you trying to pull here? <laughs> uh, and Jessica, like, she's very much like, oh man, I'm excited about the agency I have in this situation. I this is not something I usually get yeah. to be the person <laughs> who's in control. And it's like if something happens between us. I'll be the one to decide. And it's like turning her on to say this and they embrace. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and she gives some of her backstory. So, uh, Jochim or Angelo, he's the child of some itinerant farm laborer who was passing through. And then she ended up marrying Horace later, uh, like the next year, because she needed someone to, like, she, she needed a husband. Right. Uh, yeah, financially yeah, yeah. Uh, needed the support yeah and yeah. she's like listen i'll help you if you kill my husband <laughs> <laughs> just right it lays it right out there and he's like huh well I'll, I'll consider it that seems pretty reasonable uh and she leaves and we see uh segalen lurking outside he's like did you oh tell me how he fucked you was it good <laughs> like ah oh, it must have been great and like she's not even threatening much of anything she just like really wants to know how the sex was yeah. it's like oh, we yeah. didn't have sex could you please 
<laughs> but she can't imagine any other possible reason, I guess. And she's like, if you tell anyone about him, you're dead. Uh, so Socrates tracks down Horace, who this is where he's a scarecrow. <laughs> yep, stalking the, the two naked lesbians he's who are in, camping in the windfield. He he has built himself into a scarecrow outfit that it's just his... It, it's crazy it is so cartoonish it is the it's most so... single the, the singular most absurd thing in this movie it's so crazy to look at it's like it's like elmer fudd being like like be yeah. wary wary quiet i'm yeah. hunting lesbians yeah, I, I i'm committing a sex crime it's very very strange <laughs> so uh you know Socrates tells him everything that he knows so far and it's like I'm pretty sure I know where he is, and they go into that barn where Cobb is, and they have guns. They do some shooting at him. Uh, Cobb throws a grenade, which kills one <laughs> of the dogs. It starts a fire, and then they're all like, "Oh, you're gonna burn down the barn? No, I'm gonna burn down the barn." Yeah, let's spread this fire. We'll show you. I have this all insured. I have so <laughs> much insurance. What do, you, what do you think you're doing? They they force him out. He he ultimately does have to surrender. Yeah. You're like, all right, let's have some wine to celebrate. <laughs> Only the men. <laughs> the the yep. women have to go clean the barn. Ladies, get get out of here. Go clean up the barn. <sighs> He's fucking gross. <laughs> I hate him. Yeah. He is like one of these really detestable characters you can't wait to die. It's fun oh. that he gets the psycho death. He he gets yeah. the shower scene. They do it. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's so bloody too. <laughs> so Cobb's like, look, I need someone to go into town for me. Uh and Horace's like, oh, Jessica can do that. That seems like something she can take care of. I'm like, all right, fine. <laughs> she could go into town. She's the only one of us who looks like a human being. Yeah, she's definitely the only one who's gonna possibly blend in. The rest of us are co cartoon characters will be found out. <laughs> and they're like, you know, the kid had some money. Did he run into you and you pay him off to give him to uh, to just not say anything? Is that where the money came from? It's like, yeah, that's what it was. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, it wasn't his money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. They've met like... the guy who gave him the money. This is all based on, oh, I mean, they're, they're semi-correct in a way, but like... Their supposition is wrong from the beginning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the helicopter shows up. They have to hide him. They tie him up and leave him in the barn. And the, the mother mentions being scared about being put in a home. It's like already the second time I think we've heard about it. It's, yeah. They don't want to be yeah. put in a home. Yep. Which we're and... setting it up. Like, clearly we've oh, already yeah. heard it twice. And like, this lady is not making it through the movie. <laughs> yeah every time it's not just please don't put me in a home it's i'll kill myself if you put me in a home <laughs> yeah okay it's it's like um steven root as uh i can't remember the name of the character in office oh, space milton burn this place down <laughs> just you hut <laughs> uh yeah uh so the copter drops off marceau and Segalin immediately tries to latch on to the guy <laughs> he's like oh this is perfect delivery man uh like man on delivery and uh they 
they put him in Aniello's room because Aniello's out of town, anyways. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who knows where he is? Who cares? Doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> this isn't a hotel. Uh, Socrates has to go in and shoo Segalen out. It's like, get get out of here. Leave him alone. He he's not oh. interested in you. You don't seem to understand this. Leave. It's like I'm sorry about <laughs> my sister. She's gross. <laughs> yeah, she's like crawling over top of him and stuff, and he's like, "Oh, ma'am, please." So he has to radio in, and it, like just before this, Jessica had been asking, "Like, well, you're not going to just like shoot him on sight when you see him? Is that is that what you you're going to do?" And like, no, no, that's crazy. We wouldn't do that. That's uh, that that would be uh, an abuse of human rights. And then we yeah. see the the Marceau radio in is like. So we're going to shoot him on sight. I'm like, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Everyone has a right to a fair trial. Yeah. All right, now they're gone. Let's do murder. Yeah, definitely shoot him on sight if you see him. Uh, I'm like, hey, what about this crazy nymphomaniac lady who's trying to bang me? I'm like, same rule. <laughs> like, same order. <laughs> Fuck. He's <laughs> <was> like, whoa. <laughs> uh, so a pig finds the money. <laughs> and Dudu oh, finds the biggie. pig. Dudu's I, I I love his space helmet that he uses when he's <laughs> driving the tractor. Yeah, that Lee Marvin ends up wearing later on. Yeah, to pass as him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he yeah. he sees the money on the pig and it's like, oh shit, I, Dudu's rich. Dudu's money. Money for Africa. <laughs> money for Africans. Uh. And meanwhile, Angelo shows up at the Blue Angel, uh, Lange Bleu. Uh, <laughs> I love this part. <laughs> it's a very funny scene. Again, very cartoony. Uh, <laughs> he's got this big wad of cash. M- Mamelles shows up, the very, very busty woman. She leans down. He stuffs it in her bust. <laughs> <laughs> Slaps her on the tits and walks in. He's like, I'm here to learn about life. <laughs> 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 They mention in the commentary track that in the original script, there was a full-on sex scene between these two characters, uh, but it got cut It got cut in the editing process before they uh, ever got to shooting it, uh, as you might imagine. It's like, mm. uh, not really viable. <laughs> too much? Too yeah, much. maybe. maybe. Uh, it, there was a point that was still too much for even this movie. <laughs> So Horace gets into bed with Jessica and she flat out refuses him. Uh, She's like, don't touch me. Get the hell away from me. And he's like, if you don't let me do it, something's going on. (laughs) And he leaves making a bunch of threats. Yeah. And he gets, you know, he gets downstairs to the the old mom's like, you're going to the home tomorrow. (laughs) So... (laughs) So it, we're, uh, we've setting everything in motion. Every gonna, everybody's going to die tonight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so Jessica puts on some dish gloves, gets uh, Jimmy's gun, and just goes and sits in her veranda and waits. She's going to watch things unfold. Yep. <laughs> uh, just watching out in the courtyard. So we see Segalen first. She goes to where Cobb is tied up in the barn. He's like, oh. I, I can use him. He's tied up. I can do whatever I want. Uh, he can't. He can't deny me now. Uh, uh, he he still can. He still. Well, she lets him. She unties him is the thing. But she's like, yeah. 
she's telling him about her philosophy, which is like, I like to screw because that's all I have. I'm like, oh, it's a tough uh, life. Yeah. <laughs> but it also seems like she's not mentally well. No, not a, a no. I mean, she feels like a horny cartoon character, uh, like an Elmira Duff uh, sort of thing. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as an adult, which again, uh. I, the the cartoon version of this is strangely more palatable if this existed you know pepe le pew yeah uh, uh, a girl version of pepe le pew well there there was there, there's like fifi le fume right yeah <laughs> but she wasn't everyone was into her she was cute though yeah i i, I would say elmira duff <laughs> mm, yeah everybody was yeah yeah so very strange scene jessica masturbating in the veranda i don't know what she's thinking about is she thinking about killing her husband maybe <laughs> is she like she did watch she... segalen go by to go after Cobb? is she thinking about whatever's going on there i don't know maybe <laughs> it's hard to say is she is she thinking about her having sex with Cobb? I'm not sure. It's hard to say. Because that's not a thing that ever happens. And I don't know no. that she's even interested in him. She's I interested in she... the death that he can bring. Uh -huh. uh, but meanwhile, the grandmother hangs herself, obviously. Yep. Uh, will not be discovered for a very long time. Because... We'll show up next morning. Yeah. I mean, nobody's looking. Everybody's dying tonight. So... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh uh, so Segalen unties Cobb's hand so that he can fuck her really hard. Uh, <laughs> That's so, she's so dumb. Yeah, it's like, do it or I'll scream. And he obviously strangles her to death. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that, I, I'm pretty sure that is the only killing he does in this section, like after the main shootout. I don't think he kills anyone else. Well, there's one nope. more, obviously, but uh, oh, at the yeah. very end. Uh, <laughs> no besides that no nobody else yeah. just this and then yeah, like, whoever yeah. might have died in the shootout at the beginning yeah. as a result of him which mm -hmm. might not have been anybody yeah I'm not sure because I think he shot one of his own guys but <laughs> I'm not even clear on that so Horace drunk and mad that his wife wouldn't sleep with him tries to rape the girls in the tent and they resist so he grabs a stick and he beats them both to death <laughs> things just yeah. like the grandma hanging herself and uh, uh Cobb strangling the horny cartoon lady and uh uh him murdering the ladies out in the field it's like everything gets incredibly dark very fast so the fact that he went to beating to death real quickly does kind of imply that yeah this is this is already this is already a step in his process like yeah or a contingency that he goes to if they resist i think yeah i think you're right he's killed people before i think he's killed before i think these are trophies of uh, both rapes and murders yeah uh, yeah i i think he's an extremely bad guy <laughs> yeah yeah uh so we could we cut to Aniello still having a great time he's smoking a cigar he's got <laughs> three ladies around him yeah <laughs> the aunt phones up socrates like uh so and yellow's here <laughs> or chim's here just so you know and uh i mean he's doing great he's drinking a scotch older than him uh he's 
he he's current and like we see him in the background face into her uh the the very busty lady who's like in her bust <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh <laughs> uh and she's like but snake is there and the kid said that horus has the money so we're gonna be heading over there to kill him tomorrow morning just so you know <laughs> prepare things you know get get ready you're like oh shit that's not good <laughs> and th this is fun the kid knows that horace does not have the money he yeah, just is no, trying he... to get him killed <laughs> so they're both independently trying to kill this man yeah the, the kid is basically putting out a hit on his stepdad it's kind of brilliant yeah <laughs> So we see Horace come back. He's washing the blood off in the shower and Jessica comes in with Jimmy's <laughs> gun and she blows him away. And it is, they, they are doing the psycho shots. They yes. have the, the curtain pulled down. They have it, you know, break. They have his blood going down the drain. But there's also like blood all over the walls and everywhere too. Yeah. It's much bloodier and you know, it's, it's gunshots. It's yeah. It's a little bit crazier. So this wakes up Marceau who's been just sleeping through all of this so far. Policia, yeah. policia. Useful cops everywhere. Uh, he puts on a pair of night vision goggles, which serve him really well. They're great. They don't do him, The goggles do nothing. Him putting on these night vision goggles, and he's, you know, he, we haven't mentioned how the kids, he's got like a loft above a barn, is where he lives and he, so there's all these steps he has to go down so it's him <laughs> looking straight down at his feet to get down all these steps with the night vision goggles on he looks like such a fool <laughs> <laughs> so he comes running and she's like Cobb killed him <laughs> i i don't know where he went and the guy keeps running around Meanwhile, Cobb sneaks into the working quarters, which is another barn area, obviously. They've got the other barn loft, I guess. Uh, it's yeah. quite a bit like uh, Joe Chin's room. Mm -hmm. uh, and he fucking bricks him. <laughs> Hits both uh, Dudu and the Arab in the head with a brick that he happens to pick up on the way. And it's like, clunk, clunk. I thought for sure they were going to die. Yeah, I mean, there's a point later where it seems to be him suggesting that they died, and I was very surprised when Dudu uh, showed up alive later. <laughs> uh, so Cobb goes to Jessica, and she's still just sitting calmly uh, in the room with uh, Horace's corpse. She's pretty happy about what she's done. She's uh, not not at all troubled by it. <laughs> no, and it's like you know what this this isn't really me this seems like something you would do <laughs> and he's like eh, it's no more disgusting than my life <laughs> <laughs> i gotta give it to her she's not wrong yeah <laughs> uh so socrates is the first one to go out to where the dead girls were and find them uh i, I guess because he's looking for horace and he's yeah. like I know where Horace is going to be. Uh, I, I know he ha he'll do this. I'm like, oh shit, he killed them. And then right after that, Marceau shows up and finds them. And uh, Socrates doesn't know what to do, so he grabs the murder weapon and he clubs the cop to death with it. <laughs> <laughs> so 
<laughs> the extent of the cop's involvement was he went downstairs, walked about a few hundred yards, and died. Yeah, he got clubbed. Uh, didn't have sex. <laughs> no, d- didn't do anything. So Jessica agrees, like, all right, I'm going to go into town and see that person that you needed seeing. Uh, she takes the Cadillac. You know, they fix the tire. So yeah. she she takes Dudu's Cadillac, which is where all the money's been stashed <laughs> in the the convertible top. But she doesn't know mm-hmm. it yet. If she ever put the top up, she'd find it right away. But uh, otherwise, nobody would ever find it. Yeah. Uh, so she she's like, all right, well, see you never, because you're not going to get out of here. And like, you don't think I have a chance? Like, mm, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> So she leaves, and you know, Socrates runs up like, "Hey, wait, no shit! I, there's big problems." But you know, obviously, <laughs> she's not going to stop for him, even if she did notice. And then yeah. the gangsters show up immediately. <laughs> they shoot up the garage. It's like, "No, stop! Not my. This is my French Empire. Leave that stuff alone. <laughs> it matters to me." Uh, and Cobb is now in. Uh, Jessica's spot on the veranda just waiting he's got a shotgun <laughs> he's gonna blow some knees off <laughs> yep <laughs> so Jessica gets to Noemi Blue uh, uh, Tina Louise and yep. she passes the message on to her like you're to leave for Madrid immediately uh, she's like no I, I'm here for Cobb like uh, if Cobb dies I'll die with him yeah, and also like, and also, who the hell are you anyway? Yeah, he's like, no, no, listen, this was what he wants. He wants you to go there, and if he can, he'll meet you there. Uh, and he's like, how can I even do that? And like, there, there's cops watching me. I'm like, don't worry, I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then she freaking seduces the cop. So this is Detective Kajinsky or Rojinsky, rather. Okay. Uh, the the guy who was originally called in the first place the the first like the cop who was running the the sting at the start right the guy who should have been fired over this blunder yeah uh so she goes and she follows him and he tells her like she walks off and catches his attention uh and she will seduce him shortly we go back Mm -hmm. to the farm uh snake is trying to get the kid to go in it's like, hey, uh, why don't you go in and uh, see what's going on? It's like, no, <laughs> screw you. I, I don't have anything to do with you. Forget it. And then it's like, well, Lily, you go in. And like even uh, Marcel is like, no, she's my meal ticket. Screw you. She's not going in there. Look, we've got a useless guy here. Send in Socrates. We don't care about him. It's like, okay, Aww. yeah, I guess I will. <laughs> So he goes upstairs, he finds the mother's dead body hanging. <laughs> Poor Socrates. Socrates is the only one who kind of cares. Yeah. So he's like, oh shit. And then he comes downstairs and Cobb is just sitting there waiting with the gun. <laughs> and he asks about Horace. I'm like, he's sleeping. I'm like, uh, <laughs> okay. What about uh Dudu and the Arab? Sleeping. They're all sleeping. <laughs> like, ah, good, good. So the the gangsters get restless outside and they start threatening to shoot the kid. 
Uh, and Socrates pops up, do it, <laughs> shoot him, go ahead. <laughs> so he, he comes out like, look, Horace is dead. Uh, and you guys just come on in his body's down in the cellar and they go down and it's like, holy shit, the wine here is incredible. This is worth the fortune. <laughs> just, Screw this other shit. Look at this wine. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but Snake is standing over the wine cellar and Cobb jumps in the room and shotguns him. He falls down. Cobb throws a grenade down the cellar. It blows him up. <laughs> oh, the wine's gone. And just some random third guy who never had a name. So we're down to just <laughs> um, Marcel, who he shoots in the kneecap. <laughs> <laughs> and then we we cut back into town and Jessica's having sex with Rojinsky. <laughs> and suddenly she just starts laughing. It's like, <laughs> ah, I'm done. And she, she gets up, she goes to the bathroom, takes a gun out, and she blows him away. <laughs> it's like, this is fun. I like doing this stuff. And she's like, I'm going to shoot you first before I blow your kneecap off. It'll probably be better for you that way. <laughs> the guy's like, what? Excuse me? She kills him. She puts a pillow over his head and uh, shoots like, Many balls into his face. Oh, let's see. Yeah. <laughs> doing doing great stuff. So the copter shows up. Uh, the helicopter finally shows up at the farm where you know, things have sort of settled down. They uh, had, they, they've got Marcel sort of bandaged up, bandaged up and sitting at the table pretending not to be bleeding <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> profusely. Uh, and Socrates goes out to see them. He's like, oh, I mean, Marceau, I, I haven't seen him. I, he was staying in the kids' room. I don't think he's up yet. <laughs> Go check it out. And Lily is waiting with Marcel at the table. And they come to talk to him. Man, just the, the blood dripping down this guy's leg, his white suit coming down his oh, shoes. Yeah. And he's covered in flies. We haven't really mentioned it, but there's so many bugs and flies on every surface this whole movie. This mm -hmm. farm is disgusting. <laughs> Oh, yes, yeah, such a gross house. Gross buildings. Oh, it's disgusting. But while they're talking to Marcel, while the police are talking to him, uh, Cobb puts on the space helmet, gets in the tractor, and goes away pretending to be uh, Doo-Doo. Hmm. Heads, uh, heads for the buried money. So Socrates is like, I don't know where he is. You know, there's these prostitutes just outside of uh, the property line. It could be them. Hmm. Uh and they stuff Marcel in the trunk of his own car because it's like, hey, you're, you're going to get all this blood all over the place and people are going to see. It's it's just better that you go in the trunk. <laughs> uh, so Lily drives, back to, yeah, Lily drives back to town with him in the trunk. Uh, Cobb gets to the treasure or where he thinks it is. He digs it up. Uh, Socrates, well, no, he doesn't dig it up. Socrates shows up and he's like, you dig it up. <laughs> Poor Socrates. Uh. <laughs> he's just getting he's kind of okay but just getting shit on yeah he, he just has to carry water for everybody else so uh lily and marcel or no sorry i'm i'm mixed up here uh the cops show up they find all the bodies at the the campsite <laughs> they, they, so yeah they find the two girls and marcel or marceau and they yeah. radio in 
uh, they're like, oh shit, Cobb killed these two women and this cop also <laughs> just randomly near the nearby. And uh, <laughs> and we're also supposed to believe he killed this other random cop at a hotel several miles away and then came back here. <laughs> right, they radio in, it's like, well, he's been to town because he killed uh, Rajinsky too. And it was definitely him because he blew the kneecap off. Like, wow, Nobody else can shit. do that. This guy's really on a spree. He can teleport. So Cobb pulls up uh, the bag of rocks, uh, and Cobb knocks... Uh, I, I don't know if he beats him to death, but he starts beating him with the shotgun. Yeah, yeah. He maybe kills him. It's not clear. He He's beating him, but the, the helicopter arrives, and he he stops at first, and he seems to surrender, and then... He runs, he gets shot, he keeps running, uh, and takes shelter in the ship monument, of course. Our big <laughs> finale. Oh, Great location, yeah. for one. Because mm -hmm. then Yellow shows up, because he's he's still living his crime fantasy. It's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, he's like, hey, Al Capone, what's up? Hey, Capone. And he's like, look, I need you to just live a little bit longer because the news cameras are going to take a little while to get here. We're pretty far out. And it's just not going to be any fun if the news cameras don't show up. We can't, uh, you know, have uh, <laughs> camera footage of this. It's it's just not the same without it, me being on TV. <laughs> so the, the kid goes out and he starts shooting at the cops, pretending to be the hostage. Like he, he's like shooting through the grade, and then he like puts a gag in his mouth, and he, he like oh, pokes his face like, out. It's like he's got me. Don't shoot back. And he's shooting at the police. It's, it's like it's, it's like really brutal Looney Tunes. Yeah. So the place is completely surrounded, uh, and. The, the Cobb is starting to get really exhausted by all these. Like, man, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like I'm running down and this has been a long trip and I, I don't feel like I'm getting out of this one. And kid's like, now's not the time to have an inner life. <laughs> <laughs> like, look, we, we need to get you looking more mythical. Let me put this hat back on you. Oh, a cigarette, lit cigarette would look really good. And Jimmy's like, all right, how about some matches? I'm like, you, I don't want you to burn this place down. I'm like, no, no, matches in the hat band. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's just the touch. <laughs> yeah, the kid's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, so cool now. Yeah. Now you can die. And Cobb's like, all right, I'm taking back my own narrative. And he takes the shotgun and he shoots himself. Yep. Blows He's like, because... Uh, the kid has been saying, I'm going to be the one who kills you because, uh, yeah. you know, that, that'll be my legend. He's like, I, I'm going to just take control of this myself. I'm going to be the one to do it. And then, of course, the kid runs out and like, I killed Jimmy Cobb. I did it. <laughs> and I love this part because the reporters are all like, OK, that, that was good. Can you go back out? Can you go back and do it again? Yeah. Later, they're getting a whole bunch of extra takes of it. Yeah. And you can tell the kid's getting annoyed. Like. I killed Jimmy Cobb. I did it. But he also loves it. Like he yeah. he he gets to be the star. So yeah. Jessica shows back up, and Doodoo does. He's he's got his head bandaged. <laughs> he finds the Cadillac where he stashed a bunch of the money. He's like, yes, Doodoo's rich. Money for Africans. <laughs> and he's really jazzed. And 
uh, Jessica runs up and she embraces and yellow and I'm like, ah, oh, this is great. We're going to move to America and we're going to become uh, the people that everybody's afraid of. We're going to persecute <laughs> everyone. We're going to rule. <laughs> we're going to be real bastards. I, I prefer the English language dub version for it. It was like, we're going to be real shitheads. Like, yeah, real shitheads. And it freeze frames on them embracing on that idea. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I prefer bastards. I like shitheads. Just there, there is, uh, a, a, as well as the difference between the, the, the more aggressive nature of the American version of it uh, with, it's not that people will learn to fear us and like, we will make people afraid. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's the, uh, yeah. The American one is like, people will be afraid of us. Whereas the French one is like, we won't be afraid of anyone. Yeah. I think. Yeah, we won't be afraid of anyone. Like, we will make people fear us. Uh, but yeah, I, I just really like the real shitheads. That that cracks me up. Just as, especially as the last line. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> real shitheads. Like, it's, it's so... <laughs> It, it is it's like it's like um, it's edgy yeah yeah there, there's a real edginess to this yeah <laughs> so that uh, is the end of dog day of course uh i liked it uh point blank i think was better but yeah i liked this <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think it's quite as good as either point blank or prime cut but it's very interesting and it's very meta uh it's uh an interesting postmodern thing it, it's more about uh bad french people than it is about lee marvin's character <laughs> uh you could say that this is the the people watching episode because yeah. we do a lot of people watching in in uh dog day we watch these french people live their french lives <laughs> yeah so uh, this is the first time we've had one of these in a while. This is replaced in the stacks with uh, The Pack. Oh. Uh, this is a Joe Don Baker movie about killer dogs. What? Uh, that sounds awesome. Oh, it rules. It's from the same director, Robert Klaus, who did Enter the Dragon, and the one we watched, um, Golden Needles, the, the other Joe Don Baker one we watched. Oh, sweet. So same director. Uh, this is He's... I, I think he's the security guy. I have seen it, but it's been a few years. He's the security guy for like this island resort. And just the shitty people who stay there have a thing where they tend to just pick up a dog from the pound and just keep it during their summer vacation and then just abandon it on the island at the end of oh. the year. And so over time, there's just this pack of wild dogs has built up and they start attacking people uh, as the season is winding down. Joe got Joe Don Baker's got to deal with that. Correct. Mm. Uh, I, I recall it being pretty great. It sounds kinda, like fun. Kind of kicking. fun. I love Joe Don Baker. Very underrated. Mm, I agree. Yeah. So we also have an episode of Ultra Q, the fifth episode. Pegila is here. <laughs> uh, I'm going to argue, and, and we both came to the same conclusion independently, that uh, Pegila isn't the villain of this one. <laughs> I kind of love Pegila. Uh, yeah, the beard guy is sort of the villain. I, <laughs> I don't like uh, that. I was, thinking the, I was thinking the dog. Oh, yeah, the, the, thing. the dog is the thing. Sabu <laughs> is absolutely the thing from another planet. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> so this is directed by Samaji Nanagase. Uh, so this is another one that's not directed by Subi, uh, Subaraya. We're kind of branching out. We've got all sorts of people working on this now. Uh, originally aired January 30th, 1966. So again, we're still just a day off in time as we're recording. Yeah, yeah that's that's cool. I like that, that it's working out that way. So we start at the South Pole. Uh, we're pretty much spending the whole episode at the South Pole in this one. We're not in the town. We only have one of our main characters. Yeah, yeah. This uh, almost feels like a spinoff. Mm-hmm. I, I like that we're building out the world, too. I do, too. Uh, so we see this icebreaker, this big icebreaker ship, and it gets buzzed by what seems to be something crashing. There's a plume of black smoke, but I think that's just... I think that's P- how he flies. Yeah, I think that's Pagila's thing, I, which is weird because you'd think you'd see Pagila, but I guess he turns to smoke when he travels? Or it's just like he's going really fast and like rocket farts. Maybe I mean he reminds me of a Gamera villain because he does seem very constructed. Yeah, some of the things yeah. he's able to do, his anti gravity power, particularly. <laughs> oh, he doesn't have anti gravity power. It's an illusion. <laughs> well, he's both got anti gravity power, and it seems to be like an EMP because when he goes over, it stops all of their radios and engines. Yeah. Uh, and, and like a coal, an aura of cold that just follows him around. Right. Like super cold, minus 100 Celsius. Yeah, the, the temperature uh, precipitously drops as soon as he arrives. And the ship is violently rocked. Our, our guy Jun is there on the ship doing some reporting and he gets fucking knocked around. He, I think he breaks his arm or something. Something like that. He, he gets injured somehow anyway. He has some sort of arm injury. And we meet Yoko our other main character for the week. Uh, she's the new doctor on uh, the the ice station. Mm-hmm. And she helps uh, nurse him back to health. Yeah, and she's like got this bag of soil from Tokyo that she plans to spread when they arrive to uh, make it more like home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it'll show up later. Under the titles, we see these miniatures of the ship in the ice. This is like an all-miniatures episode. We're, we're almost exclusively on sets. A lot of exterior miniatures, because obviously you, there's no place that looks like the South Pole in uh, they Japan. Didn't go to, they didn't <laughs> just go to Antarctica. I mean, it's a lot of fun miniatures. I, I dig Yo, that. I love the miniatures, for real. <laughs> uh, when the, like the boat crashing and all the ice flows and all that. Mm-hmm. So we get our narrator... Uh, talking about the mysteries of Antarctica. Uh, so, yeah, and our usual thing about getting lost in this mysterious time, of course. So conditions are pretty dire. They're like, we need thing. We, we got to leave a week early to get ahead of this blizzard. We're already letting, running low on provisions. There's not going to be enough to last the winter. Yeah. Uh, so the captain leaves in a helicopter and... Uh, the, the storm is meaning like everything else is going to have to be transported by snowmobile. They can't use the copters to bring the rest of the supplies from the ship and they can't bring the ship closer because whatever the fuck happened. Yeah. Uh, monster did a bad. Right. And they're worried about crossing the area in the snowmobiles because uh, it's, it's all unexplored. So, you know, there could be sinkholes. It could be really treacherous. Someone could just yeah. go through. Uh, but our guy Itokun, 
he's the one who volunteers and he's going to disappear for a little bit. Because mm -hmm. uh, it's like, look, we have to go because otherwise we're not going to have enough supplies for the winter. So someone's got to go. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, last time we did something like this, Nomura disappeared three years ago. So Nomura is our other guy. Yeah. And we're going to later find out that he is uh, our girl's husband or brother or something. I think she, yeah, I, I think he was her husband. Uh, okay. So the, we, we get a mention of a Chinotani, our <laughs> Colonel Sanders professor, yeah. who's afraid of the future. Because <laughs> I guess he's the one who briefed Jun before he came here. He's like, oh, yeah, Chinotani told me all about it. Oh, uh, man. Can you imagine Ichinotani and Dr. Beard going head to head? That would be great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there is no Ichinotani. You I'd say don't exist. I'd say there's a strong chance Dr. Beard shows up again. He seems kind of absurdly villainous in a way that like, we're going to have him show up again, even though he's not I'd supposed like to be. Like, I don't think he's supposed to be villainous. He's just no, an just idiot. Have to have somebody... He's... Well, there always has to be a skeptic in these, even though it's yeah. well established that kaiju exists now. Yeah, I don't really get why. Uh, the, each time we get one of these guys, they're more absurd. And you got to have a Walter Pack. Everything. This guy, he is the most skeptical person we've had yet. <laughs> so, Itakun, I think, gives the pocketbook, uh, like uh, the the pocketbook belonging to. The missing guy uh gives it to jun to kind of right. look into it uh and he looks through it and is like what's pagila like he is there's this thing about this pagila coming like search me man <laughs> <laughs> so man he, where's that kid with the turtleneck and the big glasses he would know yeah, that kid would like. They should have brought that kid back. That kid, a kid, should have been a main member of the team from the start. I like, thought he was. I thought he was gonna be. He kind of seems like he should be. So Yoko, she's the first lady officer at the base. This is the new doctor, and uh, the weird line. Her specialty is polar medical science. Is that a thing? <laughs> well, polar medical science. I don't know if it's a thing, but I can see how it could be a thing because. I suppose. Like the conditions there conditions are, are very so different. different from anywhere else. But still, it, it does seem weird. Uh, it, it's an ultra specialization. <laughs> maybe it's the. I mean, maybe I guess like she. It, it doesn't make sense in a in in a couple ways because as well she decided to go on this mission. She got this certification because her husband disappeared three years ago. Do oh, you yeah, that's... get that through? <laughs> you get that specialized in that amount of time i don't know it, it, it begs yeah, the question that, that's i'm just saying point. Like, maybe you get that specialized because it's like i only know how to cure people in snow if it's sunny out i cannot stop i cannot apply a band-aid right so there's this weird thing she says everybody's got frostbite because the winter protective gear they have isn't good enough like this is not a very good expedition. What's going on with this expedition? They don't have enough supplies to last the winter. Their winter gear isn't good enough for the weather. They're at the South Pole. Well, why were they not prepared Pe for this? Pegula, Pegula, though. 
I mean, I, I guess Pagila did cause some of the frostbite, but why don't they have better winter gear? They're at the South Pole. Um, well, <laughs> just, they don't know. You know, sometimes, like when I go, when I go outside, and like you don't think about it, right? I'll just, True. I'll just wear a hoodie, and I don't realize how cold it's going to be out there. So, like, maybe they just thought the the hoodie would be okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, so this is the like this movie. This episode kind of just becomes suddenly surreal because suddenly there's this screaming noise and gravity stops working and the fucking snowmobile starts swirling into the air and <laughs> like, whoa, shit, things fucking go crazy. Uh, the thermometer spirals down, goes well below zero, uh, like a hundred below, I think. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, which... we, we got to evacuate. <laughs> shit's, <laughs> shit's a big problem. So later on in the conference room, we, you know, we get everybody together in the room to do our, like, all right, what's going on here thing. And Jun is like, I've been looking through Nomura's notebook and it says that three years ago, right when he disappeared, there was this massive cold wave, kind of like what's happening right now. Yep. And he left suddenly at 3 a.m. with one of the dogs and just vanished, which seems like a weird thing to do like he'd maybe have some sort of reason for doing it actually that is a weird thing to do we don't do we find out why no because the guy's dead <laughs> yeah that's right right yeah. so i don't know <laughs> uh because I, I, I they suggest he was a biologist so they suggest that there was some massive biological discovery that he had made oh probably the the magic moss yeah i i yeah hmm. all right <laughs> well you would either be the magic mouse or pagila himself oh uh, well okay. or both yeah. i i would say probably pagila rather than the moss because he that just like, a trip the moss did not survive him or he he did not survive on the moss he died yeah uh, he he yeah. got frozen yeah no pagila and pagila is like 200 feet tall yeah uh so we've got our Dr. Beard guy. Uh, I did not get this character's name. I just thought I don't it was think Dr. He has Beard. One. Yeah. So he's like, obviously there was no snowmobile flying. That's not a thing that could have happened. It was an optical illusion. Obviously, you know, there was snow particles and uh, pixels. And, uh, you know, I've seen a shop in my time. He's a real a fucking... weather balloon. He's, he's a Redditor. He, he is, like, the beard and everything, he looks like... Oh my god, <laughs> I see it now. Yeah, he he's got the uh, he he is the Chad meme guy. Like he's got that look. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Listen, there's there's no the blizzard didn't lift up the snowmobile, and in fact, there is no blizzard. We're not even in Antarctica. We're in Japan. We're filming. I'm an actor. Yeah, I don't know his his whole deal. He's just too much. He will not believe anything. Yeah. And just his, he'll go to a, an absurdly complex and unbelievable explanation for a thing that uh, <laughs> there's something that you could just believe in monsters because there have been a lot of them here. I mean, where have you yeah. been? I mean, okay, he's maybe been, <laughs> he's been, he's been at the South Pole for three years, but yeah. he, I feel like they get the news and Jun certainly has experienced a monster or two. Maybe this is why he's like, all right, I don't need to talk to you. He he never really addresses any of this guy's concerns. Like, okay, that's stupid. I don't need to address that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is yeah. what's happening. Pagila, it, it was probably a massive discovery that he had, and he had to run out and get it right away. 
So 3 a.m. that morning, he gets up, Jun. Yeah. He goes to look in the, the snowmobile shed to see what's up. And he looks and like, huh, the compass doesn't work. That's weird. Because uh, there's some kind of effect of Pagila that all the compasses go haywire. Magnetic field, maybe. Yeah, he's got sort of a Bermuda Triangle type field around him. Hmm. Maybe like uh, the giant claw, right? His antimatter field. Oh, yeah, maybe. And he sees somebody lurking, so he goes to investigate. And it's Yoko. Of course. Uh, and before anything happens, gravity disappears all of a sudden again. Uh, just <laughs> things start floating in the air and like, whoa, shit. And outside, we see Pagila just walking around. This is the first time we've actually seen him. Yep. Uh, he he does look like a Gamera monster. He's sort of a walrus. He's got his walrus tusks and he's got kind of a, a mustache. And <laughs> Yeah, but he's got like these wings or arm flaps yeah they're like bat wings he's got bat wings but is otherwise a walrus uh Mm -hmm. glowing eyes but they're kind of (laughs) sleepy little sleepy derpy eyes (laughs) he's got his ice ray beam which is pretty cool uh he has an anti-gravity field which is kind of crazy that's very gamera yeah yeah we haven't seen anything like that in this series yet uh, but he's just walking by, so he he just, he passes, and then Ito shows up, and he he passes out, and they wake him up, and he's like, "There's this giant ice monster," <laughs> and the beardo guy's like, "He probably fell down and hit his head and saw some stuff." Uh, I don't believe anything. <laughs> <laughs> he he fell down a crevasse and hit his head. Uh, no such thing as monsters. It's like, no, don't, didn't you hear the narration? We <laughs> have stepped into a world where there is such a thing. Yeah, we're in the unbalanced zone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the Beardo leaves because he doesn't believe in anything. And they, he's left alone with Yoko. And he's like, it's Nomuro. I found him. And he freaks out. He, he kind of has a whole episode. Yeah. <laughs> so Yoko obviously steals one of the snowmobiles. Uh, or no, she steals a jeep. She's not. It, she unwisely does not take a snowmobile. She just grabs a jeep and takes off for the area that he said he found Nomura. I guess the polar part of the polar medical science doesn't apply yeah. to how to survive the poles. Yeah, I, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, like I said, she only took this job because her husband disappeared. It's like annihilation. <laughs> did she like she must have like bought her degree or something i mean i have to assume and you know my degree in polar medical science which i'm just here i'm gonna google search is this a thing that exists oh uh, medical <laughs> science uh no it exists in the ultra q community college <laughs> uh polar medical science uh I, I didn't really get anything let me try it with quotes <laughs> No, not really. I mean, no, sort of. I mean, <laughs> there's references to the phrase, but yeah, not really. It's not a thing. Okay. Okay. Now we know. <laughs> I mean, I didn't think it was. Anyway, uh, she's stolen the Jeep. She's looking for where Nomura was, and they have to go after her in snowmobiles. Mm. And they find Saburo first. 
You know, they, they the come dog. to where he is, and it's this dog. Like, he's been missing for three years in the Arctic in the South Pole, where our extreme cold weather gear isn't good enough and everybody's getting frostbite. That's weird. Yeah, it's yeah. probably fine. Yeah. And th this immediately, as soon as you said, like, oh, shit, he's the thing. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a The Thing episode, but it yeah. doesn't turn out to be. No, or we, we... <laughs> it doesn't reveal that it is. Yeah. No, we, we both thought of that <laughs> independently of each other. <laughs> so they, he's guarding Yoko and Nomura, who is frozen in a block of ice. <laughs> like, uh, like what's his name from Dark Star? <laughs> yeah, uh, the captain. And Saburo starts barking because Pagila is here. <laughs> oh, no. It's the title. Uh, gravity gets nullified again. Uh, the snowmobile flies up in the air. Someone, <laughs> th this with like the the miniature flying up, and they have some miniature dolls for the people, and one of them just whoops into this flying snowmobile. It's like, did Oof. that die? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but then everyone is just dusting themselves off. I'm like, huh, that was crazy. <laughs> And Yoko explains, like, so Nomura was my fiance, and I took this job so that I could search for him. Uh, so I, I couldn't resist. I had to go when I found out that he was here. I'm like, huh, how'd Sabu arrive, uh, survive out here for three years? That's weird. <laughs> also, why do you figure Pagila was afraid of him? I'm like, okay, yeah, so he's the thing, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, gotta be. <laughs> hey, what's this moss? There's some weird moss here. So it's the moss. Uh, magic that, moss. Yeah, yeah, magic moss is what Pekil is afraid of, I guess. Uh, I'm I'm looking at an Ultraman wiki to uh, just see if I can pull up the actors and stuff. But uh, <laughs> for some reason, they've got it written to be Coke. What? <laughs> <laughs> Jun and Yoko uh, find Coke residue on the dog's coat. <laughs> anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I've got this new headcanon now that the dog survived because he found all this cocaine and he's just been flying ever he, since. He's been so hyper all this time. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I'm going to get Pegula, man. I'm going to get him. Arf, arf. <laughs> so a search party shows up and grabs everybody. They go back to talk about Pegula. Uh, so th this is where they mention he has a 130, um, like a minus 130 degree beam of like freezing power his freeze ray that's that's pretty scary and when it's fired that's when the anti-gravity phenomenon happens so it's like wow that's that's pretty fucking devastating that's a scary weapon yeah uh must make it hard to aim because as soon as he fires all the stuff goes flying into the air yeah uh i i love just a classic sort of perfect kaiju movie line there's nothing we can do our weapons are useless because <laughs> their <laughs> weapons are always useless always always and then there's a sudden temperature drop which means oh shit here comes pegila pegila is here yeah and jun and yoko are like so the moss we gave some of it to one of the seals on the base and it struggled and died <laughs> <laughs> i'm like oh that's not good i'm like yeah but it's what uh uh sabu's been surviving on for the past three years and it, I guess it made him invincible to the cold somehow, and he needed to do nothing else, even though he was in the South Pole, <laughs> just out, exposed, yeah. uh, on a for fucking three, ice field. For three years. 
not super believable. I think he's the thing. <laughs> I think he might be the thing. <laughs> They're like, don't worry about it. We got this extract of Pegamon H. We're pretty sure this is what uh, Pegila's uh, troubled by. It's poisonous to him. We're we're pretty sure. I'm like, do you want to gamble on that? I'm like, that's all we got. Because the beard <laughs> yeah, guy, like... he's like, that seems far fetched. <laughs> <laughs> Although to be fair, like they haven't tested this at all. No, and th They're this is the guessing. one time when I'm kind of with him. He's like, "That seems far fetched." I'm like, "That does seem far fetched," <laughs> but they're I like, "Well, this is all we got, so let's put it in a weather rocket." <laughs> yep. To be honest, <laughs> I don't know if the Pegman H even does anything. They just fire a rocket into his head. <laughs> yeah, then he just flies away. He leaves. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so yeah. who could say? I mean, that's basically so. Pagila, he stops some outbuildings. We get some good miniatures. Him busting stuff, things flying in the air. Him shooting his ice beam, and uh, like he shoots an ice beam at a building, and the building explodes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then they fire the rocket. It just hits him straight in the face, and he's like, "Whoa!" And he flaps away. Uh, he, you know, he flaps his wings. Some more buildings get blown away, and then yeah, he turns into black smoke and flies off i guess <laughs> looks like team pegula's blasting off again and then uh, they build a monument for no namora where i guess uh at, at the spot where he was frozen and yoko put some of the tokyo soil there Aww. and jun gets on a ship to go back home and then uh, the the final narration like every animal has one thing that they don't like <laughs> if you're ever being attacked by a monster, you must find that one thing. <laughs> it's not very useful advice. <laughs> it's extremely... It's, it's not true. <laughs> so I, I actually thought of... Attempted to think of practical ways to apply this advice. And it's like, okay, I'm being attacked by a polar bear. What does the polar bear not like? Starvation. How do we solve the starvation of the polar bear? Oh, I have a problem. I would say that the one thing it doesn't like is probably, you know, most things don't like getting shot with bullets. It's well, really yeah. only kaiju level advice. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and sometimes it's fine, hard to find what that one thing is that they don't like. You need a kaiju boy. They should have just brought him along. We don't even know that the boss. Yeah, like you say, we don't know that it did anything. No, <laughs> it, he got hit in the head with a rock and he's like, fuck this. And he flew yeah. away. Yeah. I um, still say Sabu's the thing. Oh, yeah, I know. The uh, Peguila didn't bother Sabu because he's like, uh, I don't know, man. He's like, I, I don't want to get th thinged. Yeah, thing beats kaiju. Yeah, it's like, I, I definitely don't want to, uh, to be a kaiju thing. That would be a big problem. That would be a big problem. That would be a huge problem. So Peguila is, you know, kind of saving the world here. <laughs> it's like, uh, no, I'm staying away from that. To. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no, 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 I'm out of here. Uh, but yeah, you know, an interesting episode. I liked it a lot. It's very fun. It's yeah. again, like on a level, the I do feel like these more action-packed, really full throttle ones are better than the first few. Even though I yeah really enjoyed them too. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think these last couple have been better than the better than the monkey one at least. Yeah, the monkey one is probably my least favorite, and even that one I really enjoyed. Oh yeah, I, I, <laughs> I haven't disliked any of them. Yeah, uh, so that's everything for our first part. Do you have any thoughts on either Dog Day or Episode 5 of Ultra Q before we head on to Part 2? 
I killed Jimmy Cobb. All right, on to part two. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about our uh, Varda by Agnes first, the final film from legendary French New Wave director uh, Agnes Varda. Uh, This is, I I think it's 2019? 2019. 2019. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the first film in the Agnes Varda box, which is a beautiful box. Gorgeous. The complete box from Criterion. Uh, Just great because there were, like, I had, I'd seen a whole lot of her movies because I did a watch project through the Criterion collection. Oh. (laughs) So I've seen everything in roughly the first thousand films of the Criterion collection. Oh, wow. Um, which introduced me to a lot of Varda along the way. I'd already seen Cleo from five to seven, uh, just c- uh, fundamental French new wave. I- I'd seen that alongside uh, last year at Marion Bad and uh, Hiroshima Mon Amour and Breathless and uh, you know, the-, the key Godard works like Weekend. So at the time, it didn't impress me as much as those. It's less formally interesting i guess but uh it's one that's certainly grown on me since then yeah yeah um and vagabond i really like vagabond fucking rocks oh you know those are the two that as i was watching this documentary i was like i want to watch this film right now Mm -hmm. i didn't end up doing it but we're going to at some point oh totally totally uh and and like i'd seen a bunch of the other ones and especially her documentaries i'm a really big fan of a lot of the documentaries Mm, i i i can see i can see why uh well it's sort of her her thing yeah (laughs) you know from the look of it like there's documentary influence and inspiration in all of her films yeah there's a lot of documentary stuff uh influencing the narrative works there she's much more of a realist uh, than most of the other French New Wave people who tend to be very formal, you know, playing with uh, the nature of film, kind of. Well, you know, you've seen last year at Mary and Bad fairly yeah. recently, yeah. <laughs> quite recently, yeah, yeah. Or um, um, Breathless. Uh, you, I don't know if you recall Pulp Fiction very closely, but there's that bit where. She's talking about someone being a square and she traces a square in the air. Oh, yeah, you see yeah. like the lines. The dotted that's, line. That's from Breathless. Oh. So uh, I... it, it does stuff like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, obviously, uh, to the surprise of absolutely nobody, I had no familiarity with Agnes Barta prior to watching this and uh, prior to talking to you on the show about her. Mm. And, Good introduction, uh, though. It, Great introduction. And, and, and honestly, for this kind of thing, this is kind of what I need, because as we've seen, I tend to struggle with abstract art if I don't have like mm. have a cheat sheet or a cliff notes with me. And, and she's kind of providing a little bit of that here. Yeah. Uh, and as she talks about the process of making it, the films. Right. And, and as well, she's not as abstract. You know, she doesn't no. tend toward the abstract as much as the others. She's more uh naturalist she likes documentary reality you know obviously the the she's very political and mm-hmm. very openly political but gently uh there she isn't she just the sweetest <laughs> oh my goodness 
so let's talk about she is this little old lady with this bowl cut that she must have had for 60 years yeah she pretty much has the same look uh same haircut she kind of keeps that up the whole time uh you can see in this movie that she's stopped dyeing her hair so it's yes the, the gray roots are are growing out over the course of the film which is yeah. an interesting visual but yeah i mean when we see the the uh pieces of her talking about her films contemporary with them being made like the clips of her there is like I mean, she's she's got the same look. She she really yeah. maintained that same look all those years. Yeah, the only she's very little. Is, <laughs> she's very. I love like at one point she's like, oh yeah, no, we just when she's talking about digital camera and they didn't have to always have like whole camera crews filming people. It's like right. it was better. I wasn't. They weren't intimidated by the crew. They weren't intimidated by me. Well, nobody ever is. Yeah, nobody's ever been intimidated by me. Uh, great. She she resolves the problem that um, uh, Titus Mode talked about with his uh, Last of the American Hobos. That you, well, you can't really get a film crew into a hobo jungle, and it, that's what she's yeah. doing at the yeah. end of this movie because digital cameras allow her to do so. Mm-hmm. So we see her like she's as as her career is going through because she tells the stories here in mostly chronological order uh, and like we see she's taking digital camera uh, as it comes available and doing new things with that like using digital camera glitches on purpose yeah it's cool she is clearly someone who comes from a visual art background uh, mm-hmm. she she comes out of the french new wave she's arguably the first filmmaker of the French New Wave, because La Pointe Court uh, is, I think, before any of the others had made one. Uh, Alain oh, René, wow. who uh, directed Last Year at Marienbad, is the editor on that movie. We do see him in... We, we have some shots of him editing the movie in this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so he was one of her first collaborators, and yeah, I think that's the first one that comes out. I'm not... I don't recall loving... La Point Court. Uh, it's been a really long time since I've seen that, but generally considered the first Nouvelle Vague or French New Wave picture. Hmm. Um, yeah, and like even in the '60s, we see her uh, going from black and white to color and being very experimental with her use of color, mm-hmm. uh, which which we'll get into later on too. So she's she's old but modern uh <laughs> she never like stopped she's growing. always on yeah. The, yeah yeah she she stayed cutting edge which is pretty yes. cool uh, i mean yeah la- the latter parts of the documentary she's not even talking to, she's not even making films anymore she's incorporating films into these projects that we'll, we'll get to him but oh my god yeah she she beca- uh, uh, she calls uh she decides uh, she calls it her arc of becoming a visual artist although she's always obviously been a visual artist it's oh yes but it, it's in the sense of the plasticienne which is a particular french terminology that doesn't really have a, an english equivalent i guess yeah it's if there is one i don't know it <laughs> yeah so it, it's uh, it's it's sort of framed with her doing a talk at the moma the museum of modern art yeah and I like the way it opens. We just have, we see from the camera from behind the stage, her her director's chair is on the stage. It's empty. 
and we've just got like the time lapse footage of everybody filtering in, chatting, doing all like the audience is doing all the stuff, mm-hmm. and then just instantly she's on the chair and in the middle of the talk, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, immediate. Because it, it, it's it's establishing both we we're playing with documentary, we're using the documentary reality of spaces, but we're also compressing time. This is a film. This is a, a constructed thing. Yeah, yeah. This isn't this isn't just a documentary. This is another of her art pieces that we're watching. Yeah, it, it's a and it, I. It's sort of parallel to her work for her husband Jacques as he was dying. Oh yeah. Uh, the Jaco Denance uh, segment where uh, she makes the films based on his childhood. Yeah, when, when he was in the garage. and Yeah. Uh, I, I have a lot to say about that. Totally, one. totally, just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she, she talks about her three main things that she thinks about when she's creating film. Hmm. Uh, inspiration, creation, and sharing. And, and to me, the most interesting thing is the third part, but we do have to talk about the first and second, of course, because mm-hmm. the inspiration is where you get the idea. Right. Um, but yeah, writing I, it and all that. I agree. Her collaborative nature is is really key. Like it's it's maybe the most distinct element of her work is how much she works with everyone that she works with. Mm-hmm. Like she she has no pretensions as an auteur. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, and she incorporate she meets these people. A lot of the time, she'll meet people while she's making something, and the people she's meeting, she'll be like, I like that person's idea better, and she'll just make a thing about them instead of the thing she was originally making. Yeah, she she's super open as an artist. Yeah, yeah. and that I guess that's kind of part of the inspiration, is like she's setting up to do one thing, but gets inspired to do another, and inspired to do another, and it the whole potato thing that leads to her becoming a visual artist <laughs> oh potatoopia yeah that's, oh, that's that so delightful right there i love that story yeah her in the potato costume is like one of the most delightful images uh i've seen in some time <laughs> uh, the, the and she talks a bit about the creation process which is like uh deciding whether it's going to be black and white or color deciding what kind of film she's going to use how the shots are going to go uh this is a process i'm not super familiar with i just kind of see the end results and post things i don't really know about the behind the scenes stuff but she talks about it yeah there's a thing that's the thing with all directors a lot of different choices of film stock like you, you can see that certain directors have a visual look to them uh that like that carries on from one movie to another uh like you know you've seen most of christopher nolan's movies there is a nolan look (laughs) yeah there is Uh, i i i don't know how to describe it but there is one Mm -hmm. and for a lot of directors yeah that's true and tarantino oh yeah (laughs) uh for sure and um well as we see agnes varda absolutely yeah. Uh, so the thing that she, the third one, sharing is what interests me the most because she's, for most people, like she, for her, the sharing is like how you, how you share the work with the other people. Like most directors, it's just, you sell it to a movie theater and you put it on a movie screen and that's it. And she does that too, but she shares her works in other ways. Like later on, we see this thing where she's got like this one big monitor set up in the wit in the middle but 14 different monitors mm-hmm. 
And uh, like each person who comes in will have headphones that they can only hear what's going on in one monitor. Right, the art installation stuff later, and as well as things like uh, her monument to her cat, Skuku, or which is Skuku, and the 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 shrine that she builds, the video shrine that's in like a different part of the world, where you can go and you can see the short film. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's so good. They they because they project the grave onto a mound of dirt that's shaped like the grave mm-hmm. so it's yeah. like the flowers are actually appearing and re- oh it's so cool yeah uh it's goo goo yeah varda loves cats so yes cats, very common in her work lots of cats uh she's she's petting a cat for a lot of uh for a lot of her interviews yeah anytime you see her at her house there's usually a cat hanging around mm-hmm the, the first few films that she talks about, she's talking about uh, meeting this painter who is a relative of hers, Uncle Yanko. Uncle Yanko. I love the Uncle Yanko short film, uh, which you, you do see a bit of her meeting him, but her directing mm-hmm. the meeting of him and then her re-meeting him. <laughs> it's it's much like um, uh, and Yellow. It was like, I killed Jimmy Cobb. <laughs> it's exactly what it made me think of, actually. Yeah. And I I love it because she's saying like, I wanted to, I really wanted to capture the spontaneity of her first meeting as we see like five different takes of it happen. <laughs> yeah, but it is her her real uncle living on this houseboat in Los Angeles. It, it is a really great one. The location is amazing. Oh, it looks like it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, uh, this one is really colorful uh, just from like the few minutes of it that I've seen. Very, very colorful. Most of her Los Angeles stuff is super, super saturated with color uh murmurs is my favorite uh of of the documentaries that's the one of just all the murals oh oh yeah it's amazing Mm, yeah yeah just her documenting all of the mural work uh and like early graffiti work uh in los angeles while she was living there yeah it's and she just got that idea just from seeing writing on the walls it's like i'm gonna do a thing about this he's like hey i want to be the first person to document this work yeah mm-hmm. uh it's it's not unlike uh stations of the elevated which we watched it's that reminded me of that hmm. i was like did she make this <laughs> <laughs> but no i guess not <laughs> yeah it was she did it first <laughs> she, well true enough <laughs> uh we also look at this is the first one that i like was like i want to see this and see what this is about a uh, cleo from five to seven mm-hmm. sort of uh, real time movie but not quite kind of abstractly mm-hmm. working with time because it's set from five to seven but it's actually i think five to six thirty yeah <laughs> yeah it's supposed to be just the whole idea was born out of they didn't have a lot of money or time and yeah. the whole thing had to be done in one day so it's like okay well let's just shoot an hour and a half of her life, and that'll be our movie. Yeah, she is just uh, wandering around uh, where we live, and we'll just go to those places, and we'll go to the real places and follow the actual path that those would take. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. great. And we see, like, and even here we see right at the beginning, like, her uh, documentarian sense kind of taken over, because she stops to look at a street performer and film this guy who's eating frogs and barfing them out. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> and I'm like, this is so interesting because it doesn't feel like it fits the vibe the vibe of this movie at all, but this is who was outside. 
Yeah, I mean, the movie is very, and, and it's it's true of a lot of her stuff, it's very just, it's in a place. Uh, that, that's so much of it is just, it's existing in a location, and it's really breathing in the reality of the location. Mm-hmm. Uh, she talks about one where she filmed just on the street where she grew up. Just It looks like she's just filming all these different people just doing, running their shops and helping customers and living their lives. Mm -hmm. And I found that, and I like that because the way she described it is uh, with commercials, they just want to show everything really fast to get you to buy the product. But she says like, if you stay with the people a while and we linger on this butcher cutting some meat, it's like, it feels more like you're really there. Mm -hmm. Not like they're just trying to sell you on some butcher meat or whatever. Right. She has an interest in the, uh, the, the ragged ends after the shoot. You, you want to see more mm -hmm. around the edges of what, what's seen. And she does the same thing with photographs and she's like, well, you do a live version of this photograph or, uh, uh, the the thing that got you to to watch the movies the, the her like her favorite political cartoon with the, all <laughs> oh, the people yes. marching with all of the signs and just the one little guy marching down one side with uh, I hurt everywhere and her recreating <laughs> that and being able to personally experience being that person it was like yeah I'd do it again is the best <laughs> <laughs> I love her reaction to that she's like she's like yeah I I. I protest again. I still hurt everywhere. I still hurt everywhere. It's as true today as it was then. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and she's so playful, too. Even when she's talking about, like, really serious stuff, she doesn't... She doesn't... She doesn't make light of the subject matter, but she still has, like, that childlike innocence. She has a real joie de vivre. Uh, she's like the light i i think of her and werner herzog as kind of parallel people in terms of just they really have this deep love and appreciation for humanity uh hers is much brighter and his is kind of weirder <laughs> he's, he's obsessed with really strange people and she just you know loves the warmth of humanity yeah yeah she talks about getting involved in uh women's rights movements and making films for that mm -hmm. I love the little, uh, like the little musical play they put on, where the, where the dude and the girl have like these two little babies, and the girl has to look after all of them, and right. it's got this piano music. And uh, yeah, that's from One Sings, the Other Doesn't. That one's pretty fun. Oh. That's one of her movies. <laughs> I, and I, I feel like like that style of um, oh gosh. I'm... I mean, it's like hippie art, basically. She, yeah. They are, they are, it, it is a freak the squares kind of thing that they're doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And apparently it did. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I've seen it. It's it's a fun one. I, I like that one. Uh, one of yep. uh, the better narrative ones, I think. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about Vagabond, which is another one that really interests me. Vagabond's awesome. Vagabond is probably my favorite of the narrative films. Cool. Uh, about a girl who, I guess we don't find out why. She's just on this journey by herself, uh, doesn't have a home or whatever. Well, she's it's because she's a drifter. Like, it is her thing. Uh, yeah. it, it's, it's not about she's uh, on a journey. It's just she 
she is someone who chooses to live on the road, uh, like the hobos, uh, which, you know, clearly is something that uh, Varda has a lot of fascination with and sympathy for, which is why she gets into the gleaners and I uh, later on. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and she here she mentions a lot of the time in the documentary, she gets together with the people that she worked for, worked with. Uh, on all these movies all these years ago like she gets the star Sandrine uh, Bonaire yeah a vagabond and she's talking to her it's like yeah you made me actually learn how to start fires and fix boots and all that <laughs> <laughs> and you were so mean and she's like I was so mean I should have licked your feet he's <laughs> like yeah I I was a really I was a real taskmaster on that I like I don't know what was my deal then but <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but but they made they made it work, uh, and yeah. it's it's much uh, it, there. There's a real intensity to that movie, but also it does have that kind of dreaminess that her works have, and the way she talks about the the repeated camera moves, where uh, mm. at the end of each move, there's an image that summarizes the last like seven minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and she cool. says she does them like exactly every ten minutes, which yeah. is. And has them going from uh, right to left instead of left to right, which mm -hmm. I might not have noticed if she hadn't pointed it out. But I was like, movies don't do this. Yeah. Generally. Well, it, it's uh, it's sort of the video game thing, too. You you yeah. expect a right to left well, video progression. Video games don't do that. Very rarely. They do not. It's, it's unusual to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll be interested in seeing that. And that film ends on a shot of a beach, and beaches are huge for Agnes, as we're going to find out. She loves beaches. One of her last movies is The Beaches of Agnes. Yep. Uh, I love that one. They were jumping ahead a bit, but they build like this whole beach slash call center at the street in front of her apartment. That one does look really fun. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and just uh, her on the beach with all the birds with the oh yeah i love the that little, stuff the cardboard birds that all the children are putting there that's the one that has her uh come out and describe herself as a little old lady pleasantly plump <laughs> yep yeah that that is uh from beaches of agnes oh okay oh oh that uh like the film the movie the beaches of agnes yeah uh, so a oh. lot of this is like cobbled together from her other movies too like there's bits oh. and pieces from them oh, all over the place yeah. I, I knew some of it was because i see some of her like we see sometimes she's in an interview talking about a movie right and it feels like it's still part of this documentary but her hair is like still red and she's <laughs> a lot younger <laughs> yeah she she really blends time together in that sense mm. uh but yeah she is using all sorts of clips. She's using behind the scenes materials. She's using uh, press materials, all sorts of stuff. She talks about this really bright and colorful summer film. Uh, I think uh, Lion's Le Love. Bonheur? Oh, Le oh. Bonheur. Yeah. Okay. This, the, the happiness, I think is what it's called. I think yeah. so. Yeah. And like she uses Mozart for the score and instead of fading to black, each scene, she fades to a different color. Mm -hmm. which I thought was really cool. And each each scene, I guess, is color-coded, it looks like. Right, like Point Blank. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Point Blank is one of these. <laughs> yeah, Point Blank is a new wave film. It's uh, heavily oh, influenced shit. by the French new wave. 
How yeah. Did I not... Le right, Bonheur, cool. Happiness. I have seen it. I, I recall it being decent. Mm. Uh, again, it's one that I saw a really long time ago and definitely need to revisit. I haven't seen it in more than a decade. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love the bit at the end when like the guy is picking up the woman's body. She's like, and here's where I experimented with repetition. I <laughs> employed repetition. I used, used repetition. repetition. Yeah, her her doing a bunch of different takes of the the same thing, like eh, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cute as a man's picking up the body of the woman he loves, right? <laughs> but it works. Uh, it's just she's adorable. She's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the one that actually kind of hit me the the first one to kind of like hit me because mm. I did this exact thing when I was a kid. Uh, she's filming. She making a film of Jacques Demy's life as he he's like growing up, uh, his childhood and all that. Uh, Jacques uh, de Nantes, uh, it, that's the name of the film. Uh, okay, Jacques, okay. Jacques de Nantes, uh, it, uh, about her husband Jacques Demy, uh, about the, his early life in occupied France. Um, Jacques Demy. Another great French New Wave director. Uh, I don't know if you you probably have not seen any of his works, but I do have most of them. Oh, cool! Uh, you, I know you saw La La Land. Yes, uh, heavily, heavily inspired by his movie The Umbrellas of Sherberg, which they showed just that one very brief clip of in this. Oh, okay. There, there's a shot of like a, a musical in a garage. That's The Umbrellas of Sherberg. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and this one they show him trying to make, well, doing a much better job than I did when I did it, uh, trying to make stop motion in his garage. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is something that I actually did as a kid with my Power Rangers figures and a little VHS camcorder that we had. Uh, I was a lot less successful because I, <laughs> I, for some reason, when I was recording, I I was so young. I thought that the minimum amount of the lowest increment of time that existed was one second, so each frame had to be one second. Mm. So I would hit record and stop it and for one second and then adjust the Power Ranger. I showed this to people. Mm-hmm. This thing was garbage, and I showed it to people. No, that's that's kid art. <laughs> I, I kind of wish I had kept with that thing, that kind of thing, and went to uh, did something. But mm. oh well. But Demi did. Uh, he, he did, he, yes. He became a, a, a pretty great artist. Uh, a lot of very influential cinema. Mm-hmm. A lot of musicals. He, he's primarily made musicals, oddly. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, yeah, there was that hippie film. I think that was Love, Lions. Lions, Love. Lion. Uh, I, I will say that I hated that movie. Oh, really? <laughs> I found it really <laughs> fucking intolerable. Just those people are hard to take. It, it's beautiful looking. Like it's it's mm. a great looking film, you know, very nicely shot, uh, great locations. Uh, I find those three hippies who, you know, she <laughs> she talks about it in the film. There was no yeah. way to direct them; they just did whatever they wanted to do. Each take was something totally different. <laughs> it was uh, impossible to edit. Yeah, impossible to edit. And like, yeah, I can see that because the movie is kind of hard to watch. Uh, they're they seem fucking intolerable, but yeah, you know, it's an interesting experiment. It is a hippie film. <laughs> yeah, uh, I do like though that she did manage to get them to pose for these uh, real life Picasso paintings and stuff like that. Those are pretty that, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Which... especially like 
sorry, go ahead. Which she does later on again with, uh, is it Isabelle Huppert that she worked with on that? That one with its her fantasies? Oh, I'm not actually sure. I can't I, remember. Uh, I, I I'll, didn't get I'll a lot of the names. Um, yeah, so the the next one is, I think, the one you were talking about, the, the street art one with the murals and all that. Murmurs. Yeah, that one's yeah. amazing. I love yeah. Murmurs. Yeah. But Jane we, Birkin. Jane Birkin later. Okay, Jane B okay. by Agnes V. <laughs> the one where they Wait. also, along the way, made that weird movie where uh agnes's son oh the, yeah the <laughs> has a romance master. with her kung fu master yeah the, Man, the, if, the two of them made parallel yeah if you had told me that agnes barda had made a film called the kung fu master it's not <laughs> what you think it is no <laughs> it's uh, uh, it's jane birkin falling in love with a 14 year old boy who is uh, uh Agnes Varda's son. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Very weird. Yeah, and like they're discussing it's like it's like, oh yeah, no, my son has to play the boy. And the actress is like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It it does seem like they're having some wine. They're having a wine <laughs> lunch. I'm like, oh, this is a great idea. Yeah, let's yeah. do that. Uh, I, I like the one that's kind of another one that kind of stuck with me is when they're filming this one thing and there's this woman lying on the beach with this Bible and two people kneeling over her and they, they filmed it, but they never found out what that was all about. <laughs> it was like, it just seemed like a cool image. Was yeah. that also in lion's love or was that in like, no, one of the other uh, ones? Nausicaa? Was, uh, I'm not sure. It's one where there's a mother and a child and they're homeless looking for a place to live. And they're uh, on the beach, and they, and that's when they see this woman. Uh, I think I, that I, might actually be in Lion's Love. I can't remember. Is it? Uh, okay. I've I have seen whichever one that is. I can't remember which one though. <laughs> I think it might actually be Lion's Love, which has, you know, it's it's a bunch of stuff. It's long too. I recall it being like long, long. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, I guess it's only an hour 40, but it felt long. <laughs> Sometimes an hour can feel actually, super long and three hours can feel so short. Actually, hour 50, which is, you know, 110 is starting to be like too long for a lot of types of movies. I feel yeah. not always. Yeah. Some can pull it off, but sure. I mean, move. I like some three hour and six hour movies. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, we've done a few Spartacus, Lucia, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Yeah. They're great. It's mm -hmm. just a lot of movies are long without needing it. Lines Love was it felt long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the Kung Fu Master and the other one. Mm -hmm. Uh with Jane Burke. They're making yeah. Uh this one I like because the idea is they're doing a portrait of this woman and like of all these films that she's been in, but she hasn't been in them yet. They don't exist. Yeah, the roles that she wants to have. So her her doing all these little bits. Uh and yeah, they're they're weird fantasies. This is where we have her in the painting with the, all the flies appearing on the other people, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I loved that one. That's fun. <laughs> she's she's upset that she has to be in the background of the famous painting. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> uh, put flies on everybody else. It, and it, yeah, it, it made me flashback to Dog Day. <laughs> <laughs> or Dog Day made me think of it just like flies everywhere. <laughs> uh, it's it's 
strange how many parallels there are between this and Dog Day. I, you wouldn't expect that. Mm. <laughs> uh, they talk about this. Uh, I didn't get the name of the film, but there's a character called Monsieur Cinema. And the film is to celebrate the 100th anniversary of cinema. And she's talking about working with Robert De Niro, who apparently is a delight to work with. Yeah, I mean, he seems like he's an old pro. And he came from, like, the independent stuff. Like, uh, oh, yeah. you know, he, he was one of those dudes who did come up from independent cinema. He's he, you know, he's a working dude, I guess. Uh, mm. So th- that one is uh, 101 Nights oh, is okay. the name of that film. Uh, I have not seen that one. Uh, but crazy cast yeah Yeah. uh but it it, totally insane cast like oh uh, yeah yeah uh in in addition to de niro you got uh let's see here jean-paul belmondo i love belmondo mm, uh uh, depardieu she mentioned yep depardieu harrison ford's in there oh uh alain delon catherine deneuve gina lollabridge jean moreau Hannah Shigula, Hanuk Ami, Jane Birkin, of course, Stephen Dorff. Oh, <laughs> nice. Stephen Dorff. Clint Eastwood. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Harry so... Dean Stanton. Yeah. Martin oh, Sheen. Yeah. Crazy. All sorts of people. And but yeah, I have uh, not seen didn't that one. take off, I guess. I hear it's not great. Mm. <laughs> it looked weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I yeah, watching this, I was like, "What's this gonna be about?" Simone Cinema. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she spends a little bit of time talking about her photography career, mm-hmm. um, all the different people that she's photographed, and different ways that she's photographed people. Like she always, she often puts like these, I guess collage. They're not collages. What do you call them? Um, where there's like one photo in the center and then a bunch of photos beside them on on the frame. Uh, uh, I, don't I don't know what that's called. And then later on, she starts applying that to uh, to film as well, where she'll have like a still image in the center and then two moving photos on the side or videos is what it really is. Right. She just starts doing her art installations with the... Yeah. the, the different visual pieces. And that, that one you mentioned where... Uh, the you get to lead how you experience the thing and you choose which camera you're looking at and you choose which uh audio you're hearing and she did the one yeah. where uh with all of the widows talking about their husbands and they that she dubbed in all the different languages yeah it, it's interesting that the path that took her to doing all these art installations seemed to start when she just watched some dude's picking up and eating some garbage from the well not garbage leftover produce from the night market and decided to make a documentary about that the gleaners and i yeah which uh led to her learning about well it led to her eventually finding a heart-shaped potato out of (laughs) thousands that was going to get thrown away and this potato became the star she loved this potato. She was really into heart-shaped potatoes. She collected a bunch of heart-shaped potatoes. And uh, yeah, she created Potato-topia, which is so, so adorable. She has this potato outfit. Like, I love the potato outfit. It's so it's, good. It's hard to explain how good the potato outfit is. 
it it's like truly heartwarming. I was like, oh, <laughs> I like I made a the sort of noise you see when you see like a cute cat or a, Yeah. an adorable puppy. I'm like, <laughs> totally. oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, she like made this art installation or well, first she was just filming these potatoes uh as they grow all the ugh, gross yucky uh, I hate 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 the roots on potatoes. That's interesting. It does not do anything to like I when I was a kid, we had a I, I don't remember why we'd bought a bunch of bulk potatoes or something and they were just on they were, they were in the basement and they just you know they they got old and they were growing tons and tons of roots for a solid year. Yeah. So yeah, it's just a an everyday thing to me, I guess, but that's funny. <laughs> um, I know it, it bothers me, but it stops bothering me if I tell myself that it's not a potato. <laughs> like it's like as I'm watching these, if I tell myself that these things are sea enemies, I'm fine with it. I don't understand this. Huh. <laughs> you know, like the 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 life within a potato I, I think that it just continues to keep growing after and the I think it's out of the ground. Yeah, and I think the part of it that bothers me is that we're supposed to be able to eat this thing. And I Yeah. get nightmares of potato roots growing out of me sometimes. <laughs> Not anymore so much, but every Weird. now and again. Oh, weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I see, like, I can't see potatoes being made. <laughs> I can eat the end Huh. product, <laughs> Strange. but I can't look at it and be like, oh, what if it's going to grow roots? That's funny. Yeah, no, I, I'm Yeah. just pretty used to potatoes. Uh, potato roots and stuff doesn't <laughs> bother me. no, I, I don't think it bothers anybody else. yeah, but yeah, I, I think, oh man, she, because <laughs> yeah, she keeps them until they completely grow roots into yeah. just nothingness, and they just start <laughs> growing new potatoes instead. yeah. It's fun. And and she built like this thing, like this uh three-way monitor thing that you can close and open the side monitors to look at all the different potatoes that she's Oh collected. yeah, you <laughs> you get to choose how much of each screen of potatoes you get to see. Yeah, that was cute. Like her playing with the visual art stuff, and then there's also she recycles a bunch of films and film can canisters into these sheds where you get to, you know, watch a piece of film, but everything in it is built from old films. Yeah, there's a film about sunflowers that she makes into like a greenhouse with sunflowers in it. Yeah. So the the thing about it is it reminds me very much of the the shed in the house that Jack built, <laughs> which is Oh, a film I don't that know if I've seen that. it is a horror movie that came out. Uh, I think it might have been the same year. Oh. Uh, no, the year before. So it, it, it was 2018, the house that Jack built with Matt Dillon as Jack. Uh, it's a. uh it, it's a film by Lars von Trier very weird thing uh and it's sort of point of view of a serial killer and the house that Jack built he they've got like a shack in uh <laughs> he he ultimately builds a house of dead bodies <laughs> a bunch of dead bodies he builds into a house that's in like this big storage facility it's evocative specifically and it's the other house that this installation reminded me of and like all three of them feel on a timeline uh is the unabomber's hut which is Oh. preserved and kept in like a, a big fbi storage facility Right. I've seen a picture of 
the Unabomber's cabin yeah. in a garage. Right. It reminded me of both of those things instantly. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's, it's weird that in, in the middle of this very heartwarming thing, there's this thing that reminds me of two very sinister things. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, the, there's there's a bit of that. Like she films or not not films uh later on there's the art project of uh photographs of all the people who have who during in occupied france who hid the jews Mm -hmm. yeah and that's yeah and like to see that in the middle of this heartwarming thing and be like oh yeah that's the thing that happened and she's yeah she has a lot of activism that that's totally Mm. a big part of her work uh the Mm. the activism is uh really key super key yeah uh uh, it's it's, i think it's part of what i find about so interesting about her because if she wasn't an activist she'd just be somebody watching people and that's less interesting she'd be kind of creepy uh yeah yeah, there there, there's a a political element to everything she does and she's trying to bring attention to uh marginalized people with a lot of what she does Mm-hmm. like uh she she was able to film the black panthers just by going in and saying oh yeah french tv yeah and it's her i mean if, yep. if agnes varda showed up and wanted to take pictures like yeah you definitely are not uh threatening to me it's <laughs> it's like she said uh yeah the black panthers documentary is fun they're, they do not seem threatening. <laughs> like, uh, it, like she comes at them with a very sensitive uh, eye and it, you know, it just feels like her doing public relations for the, the Black Panthers. Uh, it's, it's very positive towards them. Uh, well, that's... They do not seem like a militant organization at all. <laughs> <sighs> um, so we find, she tell. She reveals to us that she's 90 years old at the time that she's making this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when she was 80, she was like, oh, my God, I got to finish this one film. It's going to be my last film. Uh, and This is when she starts talking about the Beaches of Agnes, mm-hmm. uh, which we talked about a little bit where she, among other things that she does, she turns her uh the street in front of her apartment building into a beach love slash it. office i love beach office i i really like that would be so much fun to do and yeah everybody doing sort of fake office stuff and typing on typewriters in a beach on a street yeah <laughs> it's like my yeah. my neighbors you know they, they thought it was a little bit strange but you know i had the permit so it was okay <laughs> Uh, yeah they're like they've got like their pool toys and they're like inflatable stuff and it's like well i need a no interest loan (laughs) (laughs) and she's like yeah don't we all need no interest loans money is always a problem yeah especially getting funding for films yeah for sure (laughs) uh and then the last movie prior to this is faces places where it's her and this guy jr oh yeah the the urban photographer yeah, and, and his thing where he does the big blow-up printouts of stuff that he puts on stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the like, put like he, he puts Jacques Demy on that stone on the the edge of the ocean. The the stone was a German bunker on the beach of Normandy that had fallen. Right? Isn't that fucking cool? Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of close out on that. Well not on that, but we close out on those beaches like with her and this photographer uh 
and it's just this cool ass storm that's just blowing the sand at their feet so it looks like they're floating in the sky above the clouds it's gorgeous i really it's... do want to see faces places i hear it's fantastic um it uh was nominated for an oscar that year oh like cool. best best documentary best feature documentary i do not think it won though oh well that's a shame but yeah still still yeah <laughs> It was very celebrated. I hear it was it was quite well liked, but I have not oh. seen that one yet. Oh, and they also put together that uh, giant human eye exam chart. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like <laughs> no to really capture the feel, you need to make the letters jump around a bit. Yeah, so they they have the people jumping up and down with the numbers. Like, yeah, that's what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it it, it uh, was like a gentler version of the amusement park. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the eye exam too. sequence in that. Oh God, which is harrowing. Yeah, yeah. Whew. Uh, yeah. Uh, that that's pretty much it. Now we are introduced to the works of Agnes Varda. Yeah, and they're great. Uh, so there, there's a lot for us to dig into there. Uh, we'll uh, start at the start. Oh, on this disc, uh, I forgot to mention mm, there right. is a short film, which. Uh, called I the, three Trans- the Three Buttons, yes. Yep. It's an 11-minute film. It's about this uh, little girl who is a goat farmer or the daughter of a goat farmer, uh, basically goes on like this whole magical journey when she when a postman delivers a fabric that turns into a giant dress, and she goes under the dress, and there's this cave there, uh, but there's the dress in the cave as well. I'm not doing it justice by explaining it, but in the end, she gets to make three wishes because she lost three buttons throughout her journey. Hmm. And it's really like, it reminds me of like the happy parts of, um, of fantasy films where like, like the wizard of Oz without all the dark undercurrents. Hmm. Uh, just real whimsical, real nice. Yeah. Uh, magical realism stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really colorful, really bright. It was this one was made in 2015, so it's also latter day Varda. Yeah, quite recent. Uh, she she sort of had mostly moved to uh, documentary and uh, visual art stuff uh, by that mm. point. So uh, few and far between the the actual uh, narrative stuff. Yeah, but uh, but that was my first time seeing a full thing of hers, and I really liked it. It was a kind of a joyous fairy tale yeah uh, she's such a lovely person it's it's a great way to be introduced to her work uh and yeah it'll be fun to dig into further stuff uh, So we've got one additional film to cover this uh this part we've got uh the zeke earl chris caldwell 2018 film prospect this movie is gorgeous real <laughs> just what an atmosphere i love I I want like a ten season sci-fi TV series just in this place, but, but with this budget though, so that it yeah it's it's got to have this look. Good. You, you got to have the look. You got to have the look and the feel. The location. Score. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this the score is pretty easy. You know, that's a is a pretty classic uh, uh, vibe kind of score that you got from. Uh, anything in this area you know yeah. uh and not unlike you know it, it's it's very droney atmospheric kind of uh ambient style 
Um, although I love the score, I can describe it as every video game that takes place in space that isn't like a hardcore action game has this music. Yeah, it's like the uh, No Man's Sky. You know, it's a, it's that, a No oh, Man's Sky kind one. of score. Uh, yeah. uh, exp- uh, what's the name of that band? Frick. I, I have that soundtrack. <laughs> uh, 65 oh, Days of Static. Oh, cool. 65 Days of Static. Uh, but yeah, the, this, you know, it's, uh, just the vibe of this movie is incredible. It's, it's very Pacific Northwestern in terms yep. of its... Uh, its alien planet does feel mossy and Cascadian. Yeah, like all these giant trees and roots and no signs of human civilization. There are no buildings in this film. And there's sort of a constant haze outside, very similar to Annihilation, which we very brought up. Similar. Which we brought up back in uh, Ultra Q. Also had a thing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like the, the haze, the mist feels tangible like like it looks more like it's not as thick as smoke but it's thicker than i don't know it's hard to describe it but it's really cool it definitely feels like there's just a lot of crud in the air a lot of stuff this is uh i mean they have to wear these helmets all the time and it seems like there's just spores all over the place yeah yeah and if you if you get a rip in your spacesuit it's a huge problem yeah you don't want it yeah you can breathe the air dot 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 but you got all the they call it dust yeah you you want to rebreathe the air yeah yeah you want to filter all the dust out but if your filter is fucked you're fucked and that's a thing that can happen right so i i guess that's one of the things about this is how tactile it all is did you happen to check out the booklet honestly i thought about it as soon as we started this section i was like fuck i didn't read it it's cool. But, it, it's sort of a catalog of items that uh, the prospectors or uh, space explorers can buy. Uh, and like there, there's a thing for the patch gun that uh, Pedro Pascal uses later to seal the wound. And he's like, oh, this is an essential if you're out there in the wilderness. And yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's like this whole guidebook. And, and we meet we meet people who are good at surviving in the wilderness and we meet people who are maybe not so great at it. Like and... Our main character, C, is good at it because she's grown up in it, but uh-huh. her history seems kind of fucked. I don't think her dad's a very good dude. I don't no. think he's a bad dude. I think he's just, he's not much of a dad. <laughs> no, he just wants, you know, he wants to provide a good life for his family, but the only way he can think of to do it is the big score. Yeah, he's just trying to, I mean, he's a prospector, he's subsistence, I guess, but she's clearly just worked all her life like since a little kid yeah and pedro pascal kind of posthumously calls him out on it it's like yeah i don't think he was a very good dad to you no i I, and it's kind of clear right away there's not a lot of love in the space it's clearly uh very much a work relationship they have yeah yeah we we begin with her like on the space station and she's listening to music and writing a book uh, which we're later going to learn is her. She lo- her dad threw out all of her favorite novels of the streamer girl. So she's rewriting them, trying to rewrite them from memory with her little additions that uh, you know that she likes, and sort of doing her own Mary Sue version as a self insert character. Yeah, because 
because you know there her life is just work and this is about yeah. what she has that, that is her escape she she writes fanfic because she's a working child and has always been uh yeah. she's she's done a lot of slaughtering of aliens over the years oh god yeah she tells the story <laughs> of like having to crawl inside the alien's body cavity to get the eggs because she's the only one small enough right and th that's like, been her whole life that almost feels like i had a kid to do this for me yeah it really does which is sort of th this is what kind of makes it a space western it really feels like an old west movie uh yeah when it, it feels like time has cycled back around to the old west despite us having spaceships well, I mean, the, the the stuff that they're mining for is it's a gold rush parallel. Yeah, and they like directly call it a gold rush. They refer to it as a gold rush. Uh, and Pedro Pascal's character is he is an old <laughs> West character. He is doing a. Uh, I, I mean, you have to imagine it is self aware that it's based on old West movies that he watched a bunch of them, and that's what he's doing. Uh, I. I don't know how to describe the voice he does, but it's not what I expect to come out of Pedro Pascal's mouth. <laughs> right. It is him doing a voice. It is him being like, it is a cowboy accent. Like it is not a location <laughs> accent. It is a space cowboy accent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's very <laughs> verbose. <laughs> uh yeah he's like, well, I am not immune to a little bit of intrigue, fortunately for you, but you better be careful not to play out this hand too far rather than, yeah, I'm interested. Let's go. Yeah. He, he is always very, very flowery. Uh, like a classic spaghetti Western uh, Southern gentleman kind of style, but yeah, it is a peculiar accent that he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Southern gentleman, but he is like blue collar boots on the ground guy. Yeah. So, I mean, he's a claim kind of jumper basically. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that's what he is. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, yeah, it's a story about claim jumpers, and it is a story about prospecting, which is really neat because they've made it so involved, but also so different from anything we've seen. Mm -hmm. And just, uh, it, it is all about the location and the the vibes, uh, which is why I want more of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, they get to the planet. Yeah, we first we find out that this is there's going to be three cycles, and then they're just going to discontinue shuttle service to this planet. Right. Uh, and so if you're on the planet, that's it. That's where you live now. Right. And C is like, whoa, do we really have time to do this mission? And Dad's like, yo, it's the big score. Of course we do. Yeah, th this would totally have us set up forever. Uh, it, it's a pretty big deal because he knows about. An underground, the the last big leftover, because like this is a planet that has been mined out, but they kind of did it really fast, really yeah. shitty. They, there's nobody looking too carefully at it. Yeah, because it's also a dangerous planet. You can't breathe here. And there's other dangers that implied dangers that we don't really see, but I'm sure there's other shit out there. Right. I mean, uh, it, it feels a lot like a Mandico uh, place. It does, especially just, like just without the, the alien sex rocks. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, totally. just that you have these weird tentacles in the ground, these weird white egg sacks, and you pull them up. You have to 
use a certain method to sap them. And uh, it, it does feel like you're hunting for uh, diamonds or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's really cool how they kind of captured that feel while doing something completely different. Because, again, we you don't see Western films set in the deep, lush, beautiful forest. Not often. Yeah, it's it's pretty uncommon that you see like a Pacific Northwest Western. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we've got a time limit. They have three cycles to get to the big score. Uh, the Queen's Lair is what it's called. Right. Uh, before they are stranded on the planet forever, but also something fucked up in the landing. Well, that's why, because it's their ship, so they'd theoretically still be able to get off. It's just their ship gives up. That's yeah. the real problem. Not that there would like shuttle service or not, they'd be able to get away with their ship. It's just sure, but that's the problem. Uh, but, no, the I think it's shuttle service from the orbital station to wherever. Uh, okay, but like so, her dad Damon, he, he like he stops to to like score more stuff along the way. <laughs> He's like, yeah. do we have time for this? And he's like, sure we do. You know, this you know, money is the most important thing. Yeah. And He's not like, yeah. concerned about her safety. No, not remotely. That never comes up. And he, he gets claim jumped very quickly. Yeah, <laughs> you by, know, the, uh... we, we see the process of him getting one of the things and then, he, you know, the, the guys show up and she hides. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. Like she gets the it's like, yeah, that thing you just mined there, that's worth about 10,000. And she's like, well, that's enough to pay the loan. Let's go home. Yeah, why don't and we he's just like, move on? Like big score though. Big score though. Money. <laughs> yeah, the legendary treasure of the Amazon or whatever. So he kind of does let this slide to Pedro Pascal. Yeah, who, it's him and some other dude in a spacesuit who we never see or hear. The other dude, it's implied he can't or doesn't talk. Yeah, uh, and. They, they, you know, he kind of gets it out of him, and they suggest a bargain where we'll work together. And then the dad tries to shoot him, and <laughs> it, it turns into a standoff. But the big dude and the dad get killed. Yeah, so it, it's only Pedro Pascal, uh, Ezra, is the yep. character. Uh, Ezra and C left on the planet, and he quickly notices her. Mm-hmm. She and she takes off and he's like, well, shit, I was hoping to use your ship to get out of here, but their ship is not viable. Because <laughs> yeah. she she manages to stab him when he comes in. Uh, he comes into the ship and she shoots him right away. She shoots him. That's yeah. why he has to use the fill gun. Yeah. Oh, my God. Insulating foam on your suit and wound. Awesome. But that's what you got to do, I guess. So you got to do. <laughs> Don't get shot in the green. Yeah, it doesn't look fun. No, that's the thing. This place does look fun, but I don't. It's so da- it's just so pretty. I want to be here, even though I'll die. I want it as just like an immersive experience. That's why I want a TV series set here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, eventually, they agree to work together. Uh, Pascal apologizes for shooting the dad, but it's like, but listen, he was robbing me, and he kind of wasn't. When you sure. rob, shoot. When you rob people, you expect to get shot. Yeah, and and it's also a thing like I, I kind of get the impression that he kind of ain't shit. Also, so you know, put that in your back pocket, lady. Yeah, uh, kind of maybe did you a favor getting rid of this asshole. Now you're free, and she's spending most 
a bunch of the rest of the the next bit of the movie holding him at gunpoint and he's like look i've been wounded i'm not gonna do anything my filter is fucked i need to be hooked up to your filter to breathe i'm not gonna fuck you over i mean for good reasons she's not someone who has a lot of trust in her she was yeah. brought up by a shitty parent uh, uh oh, for sure and living as a working child so she doesn't have a lot of room for trust and she takes a lot to trust him and it like it takes the whole movie basically yeah basically uh because um, first they go to this place where some creeps try to buy her one of them is bubbles from the wire that guy's bubbles andre royo oh shit i was like where have i this guy has a face mm-hmm. I, have i seen this face i've seen this face <laughs> that is is andre royo who's bubbles i i forgot to mention uh Johnny, you know Johnny from the Wire Bubbles is white guy friend. I think so. He was in something I watched really recently. Oh, and I was like, what the shit. He was very recognizable as that character, and like, uh, I can't remember what it was now. I I oh. meant to mention it at the time, but I forgot it. Oh damn. Oh well. Uh, yeah. He he. Pedro Pascal's like trying to negotiate with like wood people i guess they set up they live there now and Mm -hmm. yeah he's he's like i need medical supplies my wound got infected i'm willing to trade and she's like and the guy's basically like how much for the little girl (laughs) yeah we want (laughs) to buy the girl we need uh like we're trying to set up a uh, an establishment here and we don't have women so we need breeding (laughs) stock yeah and she takes off she bolts yeah. uh, before anybody has a chance to say anything. Uh, smart thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I and... remember Johnny uh, Leo Fitzpatrick. He was in some guy who kills people. He was his oh, buddy. Okay. He was, he was oh. the best friend and coworker of the main guy in that. Oh, okay, cool. Right on. Anyway. Um, yeah. So she's wandering around the forest by herself again. Uh, I like this bit because as she runs away, we spend we have a lingering shot of her just leaning up against a tree, uh, calming down for like a good thirty seconds while she like catches her breath. It's totally a vibes movie. Like uh, there, there's a lot of space in it. It's not uh, like it's it's not really heavily plot oriented. There is a plot and there's a whole you know western thing that they got to do, but it's a very low energy vibe like yeah and not in a bad way it's just like oh it's wonderful it's it's cool looking it's green it's uh it's sort of low light and it's it's just sort of a a very relaxed slow western kind of vibe Mm -hmm. yeah like it's so relaxing like i forget that there is danger Mm -hmm. uh she she as she's wandering aimlessly through the woods she hears a radio and finds a tent and pedro pascal has also gotten away from the wood people and he's camped out there he needs her too yeah he needs her to cut off his arm because it has gone bad from the wound and the sealant yep and and she's like she's like uh is it gonna hurt and he's like no (laughs) he's like it's not gonna hurt you uh (laughs) yeah so she she has to do that and then they head to there there's some mercenaries nearby yeah the mercenaries try to work with 
the well the mercenaries are the people who hired damon in the first place yeah uh, they they're they were here to do a prisoner escort uh to leave this guy on this planet to die but they found a dig with a bunch of the shit yeah, so big score like, yeah the big score <laughs> So Pedro and the girl and C figure they're going to negotiate with the mercenaries and use their ship to get off the planet after they dig for him. The mercenaries don't... The mercenaries just want the digging to happen. Yeah, uh, they're they're basically just trying to get them to do the stuff for them. I, I should mention that one of the mercenaries is also from The Wire. He's Slim Charles. Oh. Which one was he? Oh, the leader guy, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. So he, okay. he was one of the main enforcers for Barksdale. Right, right. Yeah. I thought he sounded familiar. The woman reminds me of a Klingon. Uh, you yeah, can't convince fair. me that it's not a Klingon under that helmet. <laughs> yeah. Although I like, I like her thing. Like, she floods everybody's radio frequencies with loud ass music so that nobody can talk to each other. Yeah, right, right. Just to to mess with everyone, uh, and like they're everyone is suspicious of everybody else because they're all yeah. mercenaries, and it's yeah. a western. Yeah, of course, but eventually they negotiate a way to. It's like okay, if you get me off the planet, we will take a less cut of the harvest and just want to go home. And everyone's like, mm, fine, right. And they're like, like we you just need a ship out of here. And it, it, they have a really hard time convincing them to get to get a ride. They, like yeah. that's the only thing they want. Like we need a ride. It's like, well, we can give you money. He's like, no, no, you don't understand. We need a ride off of here. That is the only thing that will uh, work here. And finally, the one guy's like, all right, all right. And I think it is Micken, which is uh, uh, Slim Charles from The Wire. Okay. I think it's that main guy who's like. Okay, fine. We'll work something out. But it turns out he's really bad at this. <laughs> well, it's not that he's bad; it's that he's lost his good arm. Right. Yeah. He, he might have been great at this, but he isn't now. Yeah. He he's not capable of doing it with his wound. Uh, so she tries to take over, but yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really she, work. Well, yeah, she can't. She can't do it either. She's nervous, and these things are bigger than what she's used to, and. She doesn't she's not used to doing it on her own either. Yeah. So the mercenary's like, okay, that's it. This is fucked. We're done. This is uh, wasting our time. You're not holding up your end of the bargain. There's a gunfight. Yeah. Uh they they kill the mercenary and dump him in the alien hole. Uh the Klingon woman stalks them through the woods for a bit. Uh she stabs Pedro Pascal and then he stabs her a whole bunch. Yeah. And then he's like, "Okay, see, you got to get up. You got to use their ship to get off of this planet. I'm not going to make it." But of course, she comes back for him, right? And they they do a thing where they blow up the queen's lair, yeah. by like putting the material in it, like the the mining stuff. They put the juice down there, and it blows. Yeah, they the dad warned her about that at the beginning. It's like, no, if this yeah. touches that, everything blows up. Right. You know, obviously setting up to be done at the end. Yeah. So they do that. It blows. Um, yeah, the film just ends with them flying off in the ship towards the space station. He's your new dad. Yep. Probably uh, a better dad. Because he's I'd Peter Pascal. <laughs> it's amazing that like the cra the claim jumper 
walking with a mute with a railgun is a better dad than the actual dad. There, there is just something about Pedro Pascal that radiates like he's probably a safe guy to be around. I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> this character even like he seems yeah, to he, be an honorable dude. Who well, will... he's got that same Pedro Pascal energy that he brings to all of his roles. It makes him so charming. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, um, uh, what is that accent though? I kind of love it. It's space cowboy. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's Prospect. I mean, not a lot to say about it, but it's a great vibe. Uh, get yeah, really it's all about the vibes. Watch with headphones if you can. E the mm. music is great, but the sound effects, especially when she's like cutting off the arm, because we don't see the amputation, but we hear it. Yeah, it would be a really good if you have a really nice surround system. It would be pretty mm, cool. That too. Yeah, that would do her. Um. Yeah, excellent movie, uh, just excellent vibes. I can see myself going back to this one a bunch. Mm -hmm. uh, so any last thoughts on either uh, Varda by Agnes or Prospect before we move on to our third and final section? Well, before we move on to the third and final section, I have a counter offer which may interest you in the refining of the... I didn't think this through. <laughs> okay, uh, on to part three. And we're back for part three, where we're talking about all the other movies we've watched on physical media in the past week and deciding what we're going to cover next week. So we've got 11 films this week. Ooh. First up is The Okinawa War of Ten Years. It was the last one in the Sunny Chiba Volume 2, so completed a third stack this month. Wow. <laughs> nice. So I'm doing the pick this week. Okay. Uh, I, I will have a, a main pick. But first, uh, so yeah, uh, the Okinawa War of 10 Years, it's quite a bit like the other Okinawa Yakuza War movie. Hmm. <laughs> um, I, I'd say I maybe like this one a little bit better. Not necessarily that it is better, but that it's... So... The other one was very clearly trying to do Yakuza papers. You know, it right. was doing a mockbuster of battles without honor and humanity. And so's this, but okay. it's not doing it. It's not trying to do the Fukusaku style. You know, like the other one is clearly trying to do the same energy, but not quite managing it. Uh -huh. You know, like it, it can't sustain the momentum that Fukusaku does. Right, right. This one reminds me more of, uh, oh, Plum. Uh, <laughs> clearly, I, I can hear her going nuts over there. Oh, dude, uh, she is. Oh, my God. Cat. Uh, uh, this reminds me of Outlaw Gangster in terms of its tone. So it's like doing, say, uh, number two. You know, if it were Battles Without Honor Humanity, the second one, but in the style of outlaw gangster vip interesting like the much more romanticized feel like things will slow down and people will kind of have scenes about their feelings and it's it's a d very different vibe so i kind of respected it in that respect just the the juxtaposition of those two but i mean still obviously it's a pale imitation of battles <laughs> without honor humanity well yeah <laughs> next is violated this is the next one in the Vinegar Syndrome Lost Picture Show set. I talked about this one last week. 
Oh, uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty messed up. Uh, it's about this uh, original title, The Rapist. It's about this guy who rapes ladies and carves swastikas into their skin. Oh, right. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah, you see that a whole bunch in the movie. A lot oh. of rape scenes, a lot of him carving swastikas. I mean, extraordinarily garbage special effects. Very, very cheap looking. <laughs> Several of his victims get together. I mean, there's a victim and this guy who was one of the suspects. Uh, she gets together with him and this criminologist lady, and they decide they're going to find the guy because the police aren't doing shit. And they build their own electric chair to put him in. <laughs> <laughs> and put the electric chair on the back of a motorcycle. And and they're going to find just, there. there's a guy who they think is the guy. So they're going to torture him until he confesses. And, you know, things are just going wrong all over the place. <laughs> uh, super grimy. The sort of thing that like you feel like you're going to need a shower after watching it. Uh, the, the rapist is extraordinarily prolific. Uh like you see a lot of rapes, but you also in between hear news reports describing other ones that they couldn't show. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Uh, not on the list because we've covered it, but I rewatched Inspector Ike. Great movie. Oh, I love Inspector Ike. Also made chili because you, you watch Inspector you, Ike. Like, you've got to make chili. You kind of have to, don't you? <laughs> got man, I should make chili. Oh, man. Chili's so good. <laughs> Uh, next, starting a new box set uh, from Arrow, Inside the Mind of Coffin Joe. Uh, the original Coffin Joe film, At Midnight I'll Take Your Soul. Ooh. Uh, Coffin Joe is a fascinating dude, fascinating character. This is in Brazil, I believe. Brazil, uh, very, very Catholic. Like, mm. super, super Catholic. And this is 1964, and his character is a very Catholic Satanist. <laughs> oh. <laughs> He's got really, really long fingernails and he kills people sometimes and he does blood sacrifice. He's the local grave digger. Mm. <laughs> And everybody knows that he's you know dangerous and that he's a Satanist and everything, but like everybody's scared of him because he's just too intense. He's just so much all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, his thing is he wants to carry on his seed. He, he's trying to find a woman who will bear him a child. So like his wife, I think he finds her cheating on him or maybe it's just that she's barren. I can't even remember what the deal is. He murders her. Uh, and then there's some other lady that he's trying to get with and, you know, she's he he does rape her and he murders her and then she's coming back for vengeance. And it's like it's a lot of stuff. It's weird because he feels like a horror host. He looks like a horror host. Yeah, it's the vibe you get in most of the scenes that like he's he should be introducing a B movie. <laughs> well, he's doing all this really bad stuff. Wait until you see this person gets cut in half. Yeah, wait, do you me. see what? Wait, do you see what Coffin Joe does next? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, you had to split. <laughs> yeah, he's he's totally got that sort of vibe to him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was pretty crazy. I, I did dig it. I'm looking forward to uh, digging into the rest of his movies. Cool. But yeah, he, like he's a Satanist, but 
he's all about like it, it is a very catholic thing because he's so oppositional to the church and mostly what he's doing is about being anti-church so mm. it's like it's friday and i'm not allowed to eat meat that's ridiculous so he buys a lamb and he's like <gasps> eating a, <gasps> like a raw lamb leg in front of everybody at the bar and he's like you eat some too He's like, oh, okay, because <laughs> everybody's afraid of him. Mr. Coffin Joe, I worry that you're going to go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> There's some really crazy gore, but it's like early, early gore. So it's kind of laughable, but it's also like it's so extreme that it's kind of like it's gross, but it's funny. <laughs> um, and it, it's like it's very short. Because it's, mm. it's like 80 some minutes, maybe just 80 minutes. And there's a solid like padding at the beginning where there's this fortune teller character we'll see later. And she comes out and stops the the opening credits and is like, stop watching. You should leave now. You'll never be able to unsee what you're going to see here. <laughs> I'm warning you. Yeah, it's good. Right on. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Yeah. Uh, next is one that you saw, Weird, the Al Yankovic story. So how much you're going to enjoy this movie is based directly on how much you enjoy Weird Al. Uh, in extent. my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, uh, it is a Weird Al song version of uh, a movie biopic. It's a parody yeah. biopic. So it's a, a cover version with, you know, some flair, but it's not yeah. really about Weird Al. <laughs> No, no, <laughs> it's about a fictional story. character who looks like Weird Al and acts maybe like Weird Al. Well, maybe I think, not. He doesn't act a lot like Weird Al. He's, he doesn't have a lot of Weird Al's uh, personality. But I do think Daniel Radcliffe is really fun as Weird Al. He's good. Mm -hmm. I enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, uh, th there was a lot, more, uh, a lot more fiction to this than I thought. I knew that, that Weird Al would was going to take some liberties with this right. but i didn't realize that the whole thing was it's going to be bullshit pretty much entirely fiction and just uh based on other yeah it is a parody of other uh biopics with a weird al character and people in weird al's life but mm. very not about any of the reality of it but yeah. i mean there's i i thought you were going to say at the beginning that it would be based on whether or not you've already seen walk hard the, the talk story well that's the other thing because <laughs> as you say it's a parody of the biopic movie but dewey cox has existed for what a decade at this point uh longer than that. i think that's yeah. 2008 and, and my opinion is a much better film it's so good. I mean, it it destroyed like it, it killed the music biopic on impact and they keep making them and like every time I see them I'm like I'm sorry Walk Hard still did it better. <laughs> well, Walk Hard didn't have the well, Walk Hard kind of had their version of the Bohemian Rhapsody Leather Daddy scene. Yeah. Before Bohemian Rhapsody oh, did it. It's fucking crazy. Uh I mean, yeah, it it's not as good as walk hard and it's sort of doing the same gag as walk hard. And I think it does it really well. And I think it was uh -huh. really funny. Uh, if you like walk hard, you'll like this too, as a similar thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, even to the point of like, it's not the same actor playing the dad, but the guy is styled the same and he's playing a very similar style guy. And I, I, 
every single scene is like, where is the dad going to say the wrong kid died? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 there are some running jokes that I love, like uh, the hey the, boy. The, the hey boy is a good one. Uh, I'm hey thinking about funny. Michael Jackson. The Michael Jackson thing was pretty funny that, uh, yeah, that uh, Beat It or Eat It was the original and then Beat It was the parody. Yeah, it's like the guy from the Jackson 5, well, he has a pretty successful solo career, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it was very fun. It just it doesn't quite do it as well as Walk Hard. And sometimes it's really a funnier die production. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I would say maybe the most funnier die production scene is maybe my favorite in the movie is the pool party at Dr. Demento's house where you just have <laughs> a ton of different people playing uh, celebrities like Conan O'Brien as Andy Warhol, David <laughs> David Desmalkian as John Deacon, who he who Al destroys by doing another one, rides the bus impromptu. <laughs> oh, yeah. That show was fun. You should join Queen. Hard pass. <laughs> Hard pass. And everybody laughs. Yeah, and uh, Jack Black is Wolfman Jack, and it just like <laughs> he destroys just him. The, yeah. yeah, he drops the character after hearing another one rides the bus. <laughs> He's like, "Wow, uh, I've never heard anything like this before." <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it it was a, it was really fun, but it is uh, not quite as good as Walk Hard. Yeah. Uh, next, we've got the Leather Boys. Speaking uh, this... of Leather Daddies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is the movie made by uh, Sidney J. Fury right before It Press Foul. Same director. Oh, cool. Right. Okay. Uh, so it is a British kitchen sink realism drama. Oh. Uh, hmm. <laughs> which it, it, sort of the, this drama that came out, it, it's sort of what's described with uh, Cleo from 5 to 7, where uh, post-war Britain didn't have a lot of money, but you know there was a hunger for films about the working class, and it's like, well, kitchen sink realism. You just shoot in real places, you shoot what real people do, and you do real stuff. Uh, it really cuts down on the budget. <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of those. Cool. But this one's pretty important as a queer film, hmm. as as you might guess from the title. This was rated X, even though it's extraordinarily chaste. Uh, but- Gay is mentioned, therefore X. The gay is very vaguely mentioned. Uh, there, there's one point where it is directly addressed, and everywhere else it is just sort of alluded to. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's this guy. I mean, at that time, an X rating was just for a movie that was for adults and would oh, not it wasn't the same be thing. for children to, to an extent. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, like, it, it's in the same sense that Midnight Cowboy was an X, although, again, some queer vibes there. Mm. anyway it's this dude reggie who uh, he has married this girl dot who's just turning 16 she's still in high school the two of them are way too young and they don't know each other very well and they're not good at making decisions yet Mm. (laughs) (laughs) you know too young to be married and they don't really know each other or themselves yet yeah so they get married and it's not great (laughs) (laughs) uh and Dot is annoying. Dot is hard to take. They they go on their honeymoon and she gets she gets it, it's sort of the haircut that you have in uh the Canadian wild of 1900 in uh or of the 1800s in Hudson River Massacre. Oh. 
She looks like a Scorsese mob wife. The, the guy hates it. Like her husband, he he's trying to be nice about it, but like he, it, it is obviously a thing that he can't stand that she's done, and it just it it, it it's a sticking point between them. And there's a whole thing where like his grandfather dies, and uh, some of the family wants the mother to move into a home, but she wants like the grandmother to move into a home, but she wants to stay in the house. And he's like, no, we'll come and live with them, and Dot won't do it, so he just. comes to live with the grandma and leaves her on her own. Oh. And while he's there, he starts hanging out with this guy, Pete. This other Oh. dude who's into motorcycles. Wonder where this And, is going. and Pete's also a sailor. Oh, God. I, I can't imagine where this is going. <laughs> uh, and yeah, he starts becoming really close with Pete. And Pete is gay. Uh, it, it's never... outright stated but pete is gay and pete is interested in him and it takes reggie a really long time to sort of get that even though they're sleeping in the a bed together <laughs> in his grandma's house uh i mean reggie he's i don't like reggie a lot honestly he's a bit of a prima donna he gets so upset about everything for no reason he's uh a little bit tedious he's a bit of a pill But yeah, I mean, it's it's very fascinating. It's it's just like rainy London, and you're uh, sort of experiencing the the whole young married experience and uh, the leather experience, like the the him hanging out in motorcycle circles and driving up and down the coast on races and stuff. You know, kitchen sink realism. So you're just kind of living in the vibe of it all. Okay, cool. Next is Warm Blood. This is a pretty recent movie. I had misunderstood it to be a found footage film when I mentioned it before, but it's not really. I mean, there's a found footage aesthetic to a lot of it, Right. but not, not really found footage. So it's supposedly based on real diary entries by a runaway teen. Okay, that's sounds interesting. So in Modesto, California, mid-80s, like... 84 to 88 i guess uh and she's not entirely mentally well and there's uh, there's also points where she alludes to being in therapy and intentionally lying to throw them off so there's some elements of that there as well maybe right Right, okay. uh so she's she's dealing drugs and she's on the run and she's looking for her dad who's missing and you know there's there's lots of trashy history there there's a lot of you know it's it's not unlike freeway uh in terms of just everything that's going on in her life uh it's just like super bad vibes really noisy all sorts of weird shit going on uh constant weird apocalyptic stuff uh in the background at, at the beginning i think she finds what seems to be or she thinks is a human meat factory <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh yeah i don't know it's it's hard to describe As the shoe falls onto <laughs> the conveyor belt. <laughs> yeah uh next is sexton blake and the hooded terror which is the next one the todd slaughter box uh so sexton blake is sort of like a dime store sherlock holmes Okay. There were only so many Sherlock Holmes stories, so they started creating characters similar to him. This is this guy, Sexton Blake. Uh, he lives on Baker Street, just like Sherlock Holmes. He has a boy sidekick. 
in, I, I think he's a boy sidekick, maybe teen. I, I don't really get it. it. It definitely feels like somewhere in between Sherlock and Watson to Batman and Robin, where it's like a boy sidekick. And there's sort of a weird queer subtext there that's not really explored, obviously, because it's 1938. Oh, yes. Oh, also, I was just thinking, like, isn't Sherlock public domain? But in 38, he would not have been. Yeah, not quite yet. Although a lot of people are making Sherlock Holmes movies by this point. It's just like you, you create another character. So the market isn't quite as saturated, too. Oh, I see. Uh, So Sexton or Blake, I don't know. I don't care for him. <laughs> I really don't care for his his sidekick. I can't even remember the kid's name, but he's fucking annoying. Uh, I wanted the... I wanted him to die. I, like, I wanted... I mean, our, our main guy is Todd Slaughter, or, like, he's the villain, obviously. He's the Moriarty type. He's working with the Tong, you know, the Chinese Tong. Okay, uh, yeah. And he's got a criminal ring of stamp collectors? Question mark? <laughs> yeah. Uh, stamp collecting. And he's their leader, and he has, like, he wears a hood, and he's called the Snake. But it's uh-huh. a stamp collecting ring <laughs> uh, and he poisons just... people and stuff i don't know <laughs> I'm, try- I'm trying to find the connection between criminal organization and stamp collecting <laughs> like... there's counterfeit stamps some of those stamps are valuable i don't know oh. just... the plot is dumb just as the characters are pretty corny uh I don't know. I wanted him to kill them and it never happens. And I really wanted him to poison them. <laughs> Man, you know, you've done wrong when uh, people are watching your movie and wanting your heroes to die. I want the villain to kill the heroes so bad. I mean, <laughs> he, he has some life in him. Hmm. Uh, next is the Millionaire's Express. This is a big, lavish uh, Sammo Hung movie. You've probably seen Sammo Hung in some stuff. He's a pretty significant kung fu dude. I probably have, then. Worked with Jackie Chan quite a bit in the early years. So Jackie Chan's not in this one, but this is uh, Sammo Hung starring and directed, and it's a Western. Uh, But uh, it's an Eastern. uh, (laughs) Right. (laughs) So he's this dude who has a bunch of ladies that he rescued from... Uh, some sort of yak as a group or something some sort of bad guys and he's sort of like a collaborative pimp you know they're gonna start a new brothel in a new town but he's gonna work with them and they're they're gonna be their own bosses and he's gonna be a protector for them because he's great at kung fu obviously right of course but the thing is this town it's sort of out of the way nobody stops there they really need some business and there's this train full of millionaires it's going to be coming by soon. Oh, well, that should solve the problem, I'm sure. The Millionaire's Express. And so there's tons and tons of characters. We, we There's so many characters. I, I could not <laughs> keep track of all of them. Uh, one of them is Cynthia Rothrock. She's like British police who are there. Okay. It's it set sometime. Like, it's it's colonial era. I don't know. Right. Uh, and Cynthia Rothrock uh, has a really great fight with Samo. Uh, climactically, or like she's a cop and she's kick fighting him in a bar. <laughs> it's very chaotic, uh, but yeah, you know the train full of millionaires is coming by. He dynamites the tracks, so they have to stop there and you know get a bunch of business to the town. <laughs> and of course, there's also tons of people who are trying to rob the ta- rob the train, and there were various 
train robbing plans and factions and you know desperados and they're all in town trying to rob people and fight for cash and you know <laughs> it's chaotic there's so much going on <laughs> <laughs> sounds sounds interesting next is emmanuel around the world uh also has pretty great the the original title uh translated is emmanuel why violence against women <laughs> <laughs> Why? Uh, mm-hmm. hmm. uh, well, that's the question, isn't it? <laughs> so the, this one, it's her investigating sex slavery. You know, sex slavery rings. Sure. Uh, you know where you know, women are abducted and forced into sex slavery all over the place. Mm-hmm. And this one's gross. Uh, like the previous one, it's pretty gross. There's some really nasty stuff. There's. Uh, as everybody alludes to, there's a scene with the snake and a scene with a dog that are, you know, uh, what you might think of if uh, you think of the the nastiest thing that you could do. Mm, <laughs> I'm thinking of a few things, but I don't know if I want confirmation or not. <laughs> You're probably around right. There, there's, it, it goes it goes further than the horse scene in uh, the first in the previous one. So it's oh. pretty nasty. Okay. Um, it, like it, Joe Tomato just clearly doing whatever he wants to do, uh, but otherwise, it, you know, breezy music, great locales. It's just <laughs> tons of sex. This one, there's quite a bit more hardcore inserts in this one, oh, in, including one where like it's not her having sex, but like clearly someone being a body double for her having sex early on. And it's like this is weird. This is clearly not her. <laughs> <laughs> But doing hardcore all of a sudden. Hmm. But yeah, I, I think of her as quite a bit like James Bond. Okay. Yeah. They're they're like the James Bond movies, except they're just sex without the, <laughs> the action, uh, basically. Or yeah, I don't know. Uh so next we've got the black room. Uh this one is there's this uh th- this guy, he rents a sex pad <laughs> oh <laughs> in the hollywood hills there's this uh this brother sister couple question mark mm. uh they're the they're the landlords and they're voyeurs so they kind of rent this place out it's this creepy little black room with no windows uh and there's a glowing cube for a coffee table that's kind of <laughs> rad right on there's a bed and it's you know it's for sex of course. Uh, and and you know, there there's a two-way mirror so they can peek through and watch and masturbate and take pictures and so forth. Why build a sex room if you're not gonna do that? I mean, yeah, and th- that's why they're renting it out to someone so that they can see different people. Uh-huh. Uh, and also because they're vampires, so they can grab them and then they can drain their blood. Sure. <laughs> uh, did i that. mention that no you didn't but uh <laughs> yeah okay all right so, so the, the guy who's renting the place he doesn't realize that these uh, random women that he's taking uh back are being grabbed as they leave oh being uh consumed by vampires uh it's weird they have a blood-sucking machine in the basement <laughs> and they have all these blood bottles i don't know quite what their deal is i don't know if it's legit that they're vampires maybe it is given what happens at the end but it kind of seems like maybe they're just crazy. Hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It's very strange. It's it's quite yucky in a weird sort of way. Like it's because <laughs> it's eighty one. I think that it's being made eighty one, eighty two, uh, and 
we're not we're we're sort of at the very beginning of the AIDS epidemic and you got a lot of stuff about needles and Oh. you got a lot of stuff about STDs and it, Hmm. it's sort of like it it's sort of a nightmare of all of that stuff right Right. Okay. but it's it's sort of the same structure as in as what the erotic thriller would come to have it's just it involves vampires and blood sucking machines and this weird sex room and it's like a really eerie gross mutant version of what those would come to be and last up is santet which i think is the indonesian word for black magic Hmm. <laughs> Ooh, i think cool. uh this is for this is from vinegar syndrome just arrived yesterday uh it is a weird indonesian horror movie uh so there's this dude uh bizman and he he's the local barkeeper in this remote indonesian village in the forest Okay. and he he's sick of his wife because she's sick all the time and she won't have sex with him because she's very ill so he poisons her and he blames the death on the local islamic cleric who he says oh he's doing black magic there Uh-oh. i don't trust him Oh, no. so he gets together a bunch of people and they go with a bunch of torches and they uh haul him out in front of all the children he's teaching teaching and light him on fire Oh, okay. Uh, and then Bisman goes after uh, the cleric's wife and rapes her and she goes into the forest and she finds this crocodile woman. Crocodile There's a, woman. Okay. there's <laughs> a crocodile with a woman's head and uh, she gives her some black magic. Oh, I see her on the poster. That is Yeah. really <laughs> just a crocodile with a, a woman's head kind of kind of where the crocodile's head would be. Yeah. Uh and she <laughs> she learns black magic from her to get revenge. Some of the black magic shit's really crazy. There's parts where just a bunch of snakes pop out of people's veins. It's Ooh. <laughs> totally fucking nuts. She makes people turn into beasts. Uh people get lit on fire. It's totally fucking crazy. Hmm. <laughs> Sounds like it could be fun. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was I mean it was a hell of a thing. Hmm. Uh, so those are our 11 picks for this week. What do you figure? <laughs> well, since you're doing a pick and I don't yet know what that pick's going to be, what is something here that would contrast that pick? Contrast. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I will say that the pick I'm doing is uh, fundamental gore, but silly, goofy, badly made. Oh, okay, okay. Famously badly made. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm interested. Um, I don't know what would contrast that really hot in here. I'm kind of interested in the Millionaire's Express. Oh, you know what? Uh, the let's start into Coffin Boy or what is it, Coffin Joe? Coffin Joe. Yeah, let's. Let's do that for the for, for one of them. At midnight, I'll take your soul. That one is pretty rad. And I think that one would be interesting to look at. Uh, contemporary gore film. Okay. Uh, something very close in time to uh, the other film, but uh, different All right. culture. All right, all right. And 
I don't know, man. This crocodile head lady. I got to know what that's about. Sentet. Sentet <laughs> does look, it is quite interesting. There's nothing quite like it. Uh, so we're going to do at midnight, I'll take your soul and Sentet. Yeah, that's, that sounds, that sounds good. Okay. Uh, so we have a handful of additions to the stacks as well. First, we've got a new stack that I am adding. Uh, uh, the films of Bruce Lee. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Yes. I've been wanting to dig into Bruce Lee. I've seen one, but I cannot seem to be able to confirm which one. <laughs> so this one, first up, is, is The Big Boss, where uh, he plays a, a laborer at an ice factory. that uh, it, It's in Thailand, and they're exploiting the workers. And, you know, he's there working with, like, some of his family and... You know, people are disappearing, getting disappeared by management when they try to uh, unionize. So he's going to have to fucking take down the big boss. Oh, hell yeah. It rules. It's great. Uh, Next, from the Lost Picture Show box, uh, nearing the end of that, we've got Beware the Black Widow. Ooh. Looks like a proto slasher, but sort of burlesque adjacent. Sounds very similar to the uh, Michael Findlay Flesh trilogy, which I watched a little while ago. Mm. Uh, you know, proto slasher stuff, uh, but uh, someone called the Black Widow, uh, which I think is a lady murderer, is uh, killing mafia members. Oh, <laughs> sounds fun! Yeah, uh, next in the Coffin Joe box is This Night I'll Possess Your Corpse. Uh, he, he continues to look for a lady to you know give birth to his. A messianic son i guess cool <laughs> his thing uh next the killer condom <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh this is a mid-90s german movie although it's set in new york uh, i'm just looking at the poster of this and this looks like, <laughs> like a newspaper comic yeah uh there's a detective macaroni in it <laughs> uh, who's investigating this case where a professor is trying to have sex with one of his college students at this hotel and he puts on a condom but the condom bites his dick off oh shit and then the condom is just on the loose in the hotel it's like a stop motion <laughs> condom that's eating people's dicks <laughs> great <laughs> yeah uh next we've got santet 2 Female tigers. Uh, this time, the black magic lady's back, but instead of being a crocodile lady, she's a tiger lady. So she's got a tiger body and a, a lady's head. Oh, yeah. I see her in the poster, too. It looks looks better than the crocodile, but I haven't seen the crocodile <laughs> in motion. So, yeah. Uh, next from the Todd Slaughterbox, we've got the face at the window. Oh, what a face it is. It's crazy. So he's playing a criminal called the Wolf. Kind of does look like a Wolfman there. Kind of does. Uh, so uh, there, he's just on a murdering spree in France in this one. Uh, and there's something about a bank robbery as well, because usually there's thieving involved in his murders in these movies. Mm-hmm. And there's a romance and all of that. They they fit a lot into these movies, considering that they're usually sixty to seventy minutes long. Hmm. Uh, this one is sixty five minutes, and I I, well, I guess we'll see. It, it sounds like the others. <laughs> <laughs> Next is the Survivor. Uh, this is an Australian movie from the eighties about a plane crash where 
a plane crashes into an Australian suburb and you know it's a 747 there's one survivor Ooh. and he has supernatural powers probably <laughs> so you know it's it's much like uh, it's it's unbreakable <laughs> <laughs> kind of based on that uh i i hear it's pretty bizarre and last edition uh next one in the emmanuel box is emmanuel and the last cannibals where obviously she goes looking for a tribe of cannibals in the amazon jungle <laughs> Of course, you gotta. I mean, I, I usually her thing sex tourism. It's a it's a bit of a leap, but you know, uh, we're. I think this is closing out the Joe D'Amato era of Emmanuel. Okay. Uh, anyway, our main pick for this week, uh, we're gonna do uh, sort of a classic picture. As I said, a fundamental gore picture, uh, the original gore picture, uh, arguably. Okay. Okay. Uh, from 1963, Blood Feast by Herschel Gordon Lewis. Uh, <laughs> this has been on the stacks before, hasn't it? No. Nope. No? Oh, okay, not. okay. Uh, it's in a box with a bunch of other Herschel Gordon Lewis films, though. And I have been watching some of the later HGLs, but uh, this one's the beginning. This is where he started out. Hmm. All right. Uh, so it's this guy, He's this this lady hires a caterer. And he rec- he's crazy, and he recommends the Egyptian <laughs> feast. He's he's this character called Fuad Ramses, and he is in the worst old age makeup you've ever seen. Like <laughs> Savage Beach won't prepare you. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> uh, so he's he suggests the the Egyptian feast, which is a cannibal feast, and then he sets about killing people for this feast uh it's extraordinarily ridiculous it's very goofy there's a hilarious low speed chase where you know he couldn't run fast enough in the loafers on the beach so they have to keep <laughs> lagging behind him a little bit more the cops can't catch up with them because i mean they're not supposed to catch up with them that's not in the script it's great oh, i love it <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to covering it so we'll do that and we'll definitely do the next uh ultra q i mean oh sure the, <laughs> blood feast is 67 minutes we'll definitely have time to do an ultra q <laughs> don't think we could fill up the two hours talking about blood feast <laughs> <laughs> probably not okay uh so yeah uh next week we've got blood feast at midnight i'll take your soul and Santat. that should be a good time as oh any last thoughts before we close for this week at midnight, I'll take your soul. I, I don't know what he sounds like, but it's... Uh, he doesn't sound like that. That's more of an Evil Dead thing, but he's, yeah. he's dramatic. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, all right, well, we'll see you next week. Asui.